0: The garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990. Powered by Palladio Home and Garden. With your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder.
1: Good morning. Good morning, gardeners, and welcome to Mid-South Gardening. Glad y'all can be here with us this morning. Glad you're here, Kenneth.
0: Golly, Miss Veda. Good morning, baby. Good morning. Hey, when I walked outside to get Mm -hmm. into the vehicle to drive over here, I'm like, hold on, there's something different here it's
1: it, feels like fall right now it's fall y'all <laughs> because it feels in august we're saying wait are we in the second week of august or are we going into third I, mean, t- yeah, I mean
0: when i walked um, outside i'm telling you, i'm like whoa mm-hmm. this is how good is life yeah when it's just not a you know 110 degrees and humid and sticky and mucky you know, at mm-hmm. five o'clock in the morning.
1: Yeah, right. Well, I'm always freezing in my house, so I look forward to walking outside and feeling that initial heat. Well, you can to just warm cut up. your air
0: conditioner off and make <laughs> we'll all feel good, okay? <laughs> right.
1: And it wasn't that heat when I walked outside. So it uh, looks like from here out for like the next seven days or so, <laughs> I'm forecasting out the next seven days. It's Decent the, weather? Yeah, it, mm. it is. So. But you know how we go, ooh, it's 91, but then the heat heat index is still 100. I know, yeah. But still,
0: I'll take 91 over 108.
1: Yeah, it's... uh it's not as horrible.
0: And plus, we got a little bit of rain. You know, we had no rain at my house for almost two months. None. Yeah. Zero. Zilch. No rain. Zero. Nothing. And then, you know, in the last, what, two weeks, we've mm-hmm. had, you know, two or three, you know, good heavy rain. So, you know how it is. It's feast or famine yeah. all the time. But I'll take it. I'm not going to complain about rain it was, ever.
1: It was like just in time i mean we sure could have had it a lot earlier but things were incredibly dry yeah. you know larger trees larger crepe myrtles uh wondering if things were going to be lost because all of a sudden you're going wow i haven't been watering the huge tree over there and it's or the Arbavitas or what mm-hmm. have you and it, they're just going to go away but luckily We got them in time, and the rain came out, and we're just hanging on. The gardening still looks not so parched.
0: Yeah, but, you know, I think we didn't come through it unscathed, quite honestly, you know, because a lot of plants were really stressed. Uh, Case to point, you know, I've had a couple of times this week people come in with uh, scale on hollies. And Mm -hmm. I know that's not uncommon. Don't get me wrong. uh, But they were loaded with scale. And, you know, these were on foster hollies, both of them. Now, you know, any holly can get scaled, just mm-hmm. like, you know, Crate Myrtle's, we talk about that all the time. But I was just thinking, you know, is it, you know, has this been going on all year on these hollies, or is this something just kind of emerging now mm-hmm. because of all the stress, you know, the wow. heat stress, the, the you know, it's been so dry. Uh, but, well, you know,
1: like like they say, or, you know, like we've learned that, Okay, they could have had a little bit of issue early on, but if we hadn't have went through this heat stress, they probably wouldn't have been able to multiply so much, you know, like you were saying.
0: Well, and I I think, and I hope now that that's just, you know, we might see a few more insects on stressed plants, Mm -hmm. maybe a little more fungal problems on stressed plants. But if we just kept the dang things alive, you know, during that period, Veda, I mean, you know, we've done a good yeah. thing, I'm telling you. Yeah. Uh, and it's one of those things where, yeah, you know, people have watered, you know, I mean, look at their water bills. Mm-hmm. You know, you can tell how much people have been watering and they had to. But that's my point. They had to do it just to keep the things alive.
1: Yeah. You know, it's a, and it's I got, a struggle with yeah. trying to figure out what am I going to let this portion just die out? Well, you no, know, we're not going so, to. I know. But at the same time, you're like, oh, it's too hot to water, and my water bill's going
0: up too much. Well, we got to a point where you know we want, we always want our landscape to look great. Mm-hmm. Okay. Lush. Then yeah. I got to a point where I just want my landscape to be alive. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and it was it was that bad. Now, of course, that's why I walked out this morning when it felt cooler and we had some rain. You know, two or three rains in the last two weeks. I'm like, you know, okay, <laughs> life is good again, right? <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, the weather definitely dictates how we feel that day <laughs>
0: But it, talking about the scale, if you do have scale uh, on, on your hollies And it's these same little white bumps, not quite as big mm-hmm. as the scale you see on the crape myrtles um, You can still do it the same way You can get the, the tree and shrub insect drench And you can pour that right around the trunk of the holly And it will kill that scale also Or you can get a you know systemic insecticide and spray them down really good But they'd always like to take it a little further like you do, Mm -hmm. you know, like, okay, why do we have scale? Well, this year, I think I know why we would potentially have scale on hollies is because of the stress. (laughs) Uh, So, you know, normally we would say make sure it's staying hydrated. You know, uh, it's getting enough sun. uh, Feed it. Mm -hmm. You know, you want to get it as strong and healthy as you can where it can fight these insects and diseases off on their own. Right. So, yeah, just uh, I think we're going to see some of that going into the Mm -hmm. fall and maybe even next spring. Maybe f- more insects and maybe more fungal problems because of the stress factor. We'll see.
1: Yeah. Well, it always gives us gardeners something to do. <laughs> you know, now you can, if you're using natural fertilizers, you could start fertilizing now. So the plant would have some food available sooner than and later. So it could have a constant feed to get some nutrition to help it. Go its course. Through In fact, this I stress. recommend
0: that you go ahead and mm-hmm. do it now. Whether it's melorganite, hollytone, plant tone, Plantone, any of those type products, uh, you can't overdo mm-hmm. it. You know, you're not going to burn with those products, and the plant will use it as it needs it. Uh, so, I mean, I don't care if it's 120 degrees outside. You can go mm-hmm. ahead and start feeding with those type fertilizers. Boy,
1: I tell you what, I'm still using those earthworm castings, and. I just see such quick results from them, especially if I water it in with, like, a liquid organic fertilizer, some of the Fox Farm.
0: Mm.
1: Man, I see action quickly.
0: Well, I, I looked up earthworm castings last night, and mm-hmm. we'll talk about it later on in the show, yeah. uh, about the 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 wonderful things that... Re- the reasons why people should use Earthworm castings, Veda
1: Right You know, no one ever asked me Why they should use certain fertilizers But they've asked a lot Now, why do I use worm castings? Mm-hmm. Well, I'll
0: tell you Maybe even on the next segment here But uh, it's uh, yeah, it's good stuff Is all I'm going to tell you right now
1: <laughs> Yeah, I'm loving it My hibiscus love them I had one hibiscus that It's one variety Lemonade, I think and it never it took it for at first it took it had buds on it all season but they would not Mm -hmm. open. And then I was like, okay, so we supplied plenty of water because at first I was sure it was drying out. And
0: if you read about it, they say that's usually what it is. It's just not getting enough water. Those tropical hibiscus aren't blooming the way they should. Yeah,
1: just, just simply not enough water. So we bumped that up, and then I thought, okay, these really, I'm sure they need fertilizer. So I sprinkled worm castings on that as well. And And I'm saying
0: these were still in containers. Still
1: in containers. And about, it took a couple of weeks, but all of a sudden we just come into work and these big hibiscus had big blooms on them where they finally opened. I mean, one would open kind of and then fall off, but it Mm -hmm. just all turned into the fact that we were letting it get too, they weren't to the wilt dry, but they were still too dry. And... We'd waited too long To give them fertilizer Isn't that
0: amazing It
1: is And then You know Luckily we'd gotten it Before it became Totally depleted So it, it flushed back out
0: So you sprinkled Earthworm castings As a top dressing On the soil mm-hmm. And did you feed it also was that, Or was that Your that fertilizer was
1: Yeah that was it Because you know Don't have time to do Just a whole uh-huh. lot When you're You know Trying to feed A lot of plants Or whatever So I just do The fastest The least messiest The least smelly Now if that had been Your
0: hibiscus <laughs> at home uh, of course, it would have stayed hydrated properly, you hope. Yeah. Uh, you definitely would have put a layer of earthworm castings on it probably mm-hmm. back in the spring, Miss mm-hmm. Veda, and then feed it with some uh, flower tone yeah. or something like that. And it, I'm telling you, it probably would have been blooming the whole time.
1: Right. See, I got the orange hibiscus and was able to keep it moist all the time, but used the worm. First, I used a really good organic soil, of mm. course, that had all the organic matter in it. Um, put that in there, planted it after a while, threw some worm castings on there. N- another couple of weeks or so, had a had some leftover garden tone, threw yep. that in there, and it's just a constant bloom the whole season. Well,
0: I've got a uh, a soil story for you, also. Uh, that's I'm sure it happens every day, yeah, you know. I mean, it's yeah, so we'll we'll get into that too. It's it makes a difference, I'm just telling you.
1: I know it's one of the big keys. Mm. Okay, y'all. Get your questions together, get awake. Yeah. Get coffee, get tea. We're gonna do all that while we're on break too.
0: And walk outside for just one second. That'll freshen
1: you up. We'll be right back. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. You can call us, 260-5926. That's
0: it, 260-5926. Or you can shoot us a text on the Mighty 990 Facebook page, Miss Veda.
1: And if um, you fall asleep, which I'm sure you won't, <laughs> then you can catch us up on, on the podcast or tell your friends about our podcast, and uh, that way you can't miss anything.
0: Yeah, KWM radio.com streaming all the time. Um, we were talking about... Uh, Earthworm castings, yeah. okay? Well, first of all, like, when I was reading about earthworm, I mean, I've known about earthworm castings. We've mm-hmm. sold them for 100 years like you have, and we know it's a great product, but it says earthworm castings, Veda, it adds nutrients and beneficial bacteria and fungus to your soil, okay? Right. Which is really important. You know, you yeah. got to have those, that bacteria and that mm-hmm. fungi in there doing their thing. Because okay? there's
1: actually good and bad fungi, good what and do you mean bacteria. What uh, a lot of people say when you're saying uh, it adds good fungi to the soil, so many people think. Wait. Oh, I hear that word. Yeah, why? You no, know,
0: but there's you got to have good fungi yeah. in there. It improves the soil structure, okay, by increasing the aeration. Uh, it improves the drainage and enhancing uh, the moisture retention at the same time. Now think about that. We always talk about a good potting soil that actually holds moisture but drains at the same time. Mm-hmm. And earthworm castings—they it does all of this stuff. I'm telling you. So I'm with you. If you want the perfect, I guess the perfect soil, mm-hmm. um, you—I don't know if you'll ever get it without adding. I'm telling you, I earthworm know. castings do right, it. Right, it's I'm, saying, so I'm not saying we can't get by. Yeah. But uh, whether you're working it into your soil when you're potting up your plants or whether you're doing it like you do, Veda, uh, as a top dressing, especially for plants that are in containers that are already in there. Yeah. You don't want to dig them up. Uh, <laughs> just put your layer of earthworm castings up there. I mean, it, it really is it's probably the most complete manure that's on the market.
1: Yeah. And, you know, if you look at all the organic products – Majority, majority of them have earthworm castings in the um, mm-hmm. products, like well, mm-hmm. the soils and the liquid fertilizers. You see that as the one of the ingredients in most of them.
0: Well, and speaking of, of potting soils, I was I told you I got a story for you. It it actually happened yesterday. A young lady pulled up in the parking lot. She said, "Kenny, do you mind coming out here and grabbing this pot with this mm-hmm. uh, spathiphyllum, this peace lily, in it?" So I said, not a problem. So I went out there, and I grabbed it, and I brought it inside. And, of course, you know, the leaves were burn around the edges. Mm-hmm. And I said, this thing is either staying way too wet or it's too dry. It's one or the other. And I said, how often are you watering this plant? She said, I'm only watering it once a week. And I said, well, that sounds mm-hmm. about right. And she said, I'm also getting all these little gnats in the mm-hmm. house. And I said, well, that's an indication that you're keeping it too wet. Well, it turns out, I mean, yes, yeah, she's always watered her house plants. Only once a week, which is typically what we do, okay? But she repotted these things about a month ago, mm-hmm. and she got a heavy potting soil that had water retention oh. additives to it, okay? I don't mind the water retention additives to a potting soil if it's a lightweight potting soil. Mm-hmm. This potting soil, the, the consistency of it, Veda, didn't need anything else in there that held water, Okay. <laughs> So this is one of those situations where she used this potting soil, and in her mind, you know, she was reading the bag, and it, it had water retention additives to it. She's like, this is perfect. It's going to hold the moisture in there. Yeah. Uh, I don't have to water as much, or if I skip a watering, I'm – no. <laughs> it, 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 it was still I – I still could have got it in my hands yeah. and, and squeezed Ooh. it hard enough to maybe get a drop or two out after a week oh my of goodness. not being watered. So I bet just, that
1: pot was so heavy. Well,
0: but it's just one of those situations where we we think we're trying to do the right thing, okay? And in our mind, we yeah. are.
1: And it sounds like it by what she read. Exactly, you know? but yeah. I'm
0: telling you. And then she was getting fungus gnats, so she mm-hmm. bought the mosquito bits, yeah. you know, that you sprinkle on top. But I was like, with this soil, and I said either you repot it in a good potting soil. Mm-hmm. You know, when I say good, you know the Monrovia, the Faffords, those type of potting fox soils, farms, the yeah. Fox Farms that actually hold moisture, but they drain at the same time, just like the earthworm castings. Here is, I said, either you're going to have to go in there and repot it, or you're going to have to cut back on the water. And she said, well, well, how long do you think? And I said, go ten days, maybe go two weeks. Right. These are inside the house; these house plants. I said, but you're going to have to get out of this watering it once a week like you always have it's not because the plants don't need water it's because Mm -hmm. of the soil that you're using that's holding so much water but Vadia was just so stark clear that this stuff was still almost gummy Mm -hmm. a week after she watered them that's a week
1: that's amazing and that's what was blowing her I mean Uh she couldn't
0: understand what is going on with these things I'm treating them just like I always have yeah I'm watering like I always have and no one
1: thinks of the soil
0: nope nope and that was the only problem with these plants Mm -hmm. now you know you know she said i really don't want to repot them you know because i just repotted these things you know about a month ago and i don't want them going in shock and i said well (laughs) they're going to
1: go into shock if you don't do
0: something different (laughs) also this
1: is going to be less shock for sure so i'm
0: I'm telling you guys when you're out shopping for for potting soil in particular to me Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's more it's one of the most important soils you can buy is because you need a soil that is going to hold some moisture, but you also need a soil that's that is it has to drain and I don't you know I'm not I don't know of every brand that's out there. I mm-hmm. just know this brand was <laughs> not and I say it's not good you had you have to be real yeah. careful with some of these soils because most, most of the time, we're going to keep that soil too wet.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, we are most of the time. And the other thing is, too, if you think about it this way, just, just think if she had a compared like prices of soil, mm-hmm. a lot of times we skimp on the price of the soil because mm-hmm. we're not seeing that. You know, we want to pay more for the bigger, beautiful plant and less mm-hmm. for the soil. So if you skimp mm-hmm. on the soil to save money, well, now she's got to pay money again. To get the better soil, well, and use their energy. And not and only time. that,
0: what was so important about these plants? These, are, these were peace lilies from a funeral, mm-hmm. from a friend, a dear friend of hers, and it, so they were sentimental. Yeah, and she did not want to lose them. So, and it, and I think she would have spent whatever she needed to spend mm-hmm. on the soil. She just didn't know. Right. I mean, who yeah. would? Right. Mm-hmm. So I'm um, just be careful. Uh, you know, when you're out there. Uh, I mean, you mentioned the fox farm soils veda you know the ocean forest Mm -hmm. and the happy frog in particular they're great soils they just are are. yeah yeah Um, that
1: and the earth mix are my two absolute favorite soils you um don't have to think much about it they just like you said hold moisture right drain right have nutrients in it uh, doesn't have too much peat moss. Doesn't have too much topsoil. Has the manure that actually has the nutrients in it. So it's all it's, it's good yeah. stuff.
0: And you know, and we've always sold the uh, the Fafford uh, container mix. Uh, and you know, we've sold a million different types of potting soils mm-hmm. over the years. Uh, but we really like this one too. But I mean, there are some good ones out there. But if the bag feels heavy, mm-hmm. heavy when you pick it up, and it's you know still dry, but it feels yeah. heavy that's probably not a good sign either i'm telling you
1: we have a potting soil that is designed for outdoors it's an outdoor mix and it's um i would say twice as heavy as the soil that we use indoor
0: it's an outdoor mix yeah it's an outdoor mix
1: for containers you know and and we know that outdoor containers dry out so fast so with this heavier one but that, that's the thing about your different soil textures. The outdoor mix was twice as heavy as the indoor mix mm-hmm. for the indoor potting soils because the house plants don't need that, he, you know, that soil that's going to so let them wet. go. Yeah, it to take all a their...
0: lot longer for that soil to dry out inside the house than it would mm-hmm. outside in the sun, I'm just telling you. And, Veda, and you're right. She, you mentioned the Fox Farm uh, water-soluble plant foods. Uh, she bought the, the Big Bloom. Uh, which is uh, in a completely organic, water-soluble plant food, okay? And she was going to drench this uh once a week for at least a month and then just go back to her every two weeks as far as feeding them. So, yeah, so now hopefully, you know, that now that she knows what's going on, uh, she won't overwater these things. She'll feed it, you know, to stimulate mm-hmm. new growth. But she really thought she had a horrible insect problem or a disease problem, yeah. and it was nothing more than just a watering right. problem
1: um when then when things get too wet, one thing that really surprises me how this works though, is we had this beautiful um, <coughs> calathea yeah and a house plant uh, and it kept mm-hmm. just kind of not really coming out of wilt but not really wilted, mm-hmm. just enough where I'm like. <laughs> What is it? And it just doesn't one, look
0: right. Right.
1: One of the other girls said, you know, I'm watering this, but it really <gasps> doesn't come out of the wilt. So I took it out of the six inch pot that the, after we closed and just set the six inch pot and the plant next to each other. Uh, so that way all night it was airing out. Mm-hmm. The root ball was airing out. Came in the next morning. It was perked up, just as happy as can be. Mm-hmm. So I put it back <clears throat> in the container, poked a little holes, a few holes in there to help with the compaction and the circulation. And it was fine after that. But just taking it out of the container and letting it air out because it just couldn't quite air so out. So it's just in in the a con- little too wet. Yeah, just and and it's strange how that
0: can help. Well, but 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 also what happens when when plants stay too wet, the little feeder roots down there start to rot. Okay. Yeah. And when the little feeder roots start to rot, it can't take in water like it should. Mm -hmm. So it's sitting in this very moist, wet soil, but it's still dying of dehydration. Right. Okay? So then we um, see a wilt and we're just adding more water to it. mm -hmm. So we're compounding the problem. Right. So it's really, really important, like you said, Veda, to start out with a good potting median, especially, especially for these indoor plants.
1: Well, and then going around to the water thing so for instance you know we get the flats that hold the five inch courts sure. and so i've got a number of flats like that that have sedum in them and then you have them sitting on the uh, table to sell so we've got the table the flat and then the quartz in the flats well i could never seems like i couldn't get the sedum to dry out enough uh-huh. And what was happening is the flats were actually holding the moisture, you know, between the flats and the table. It was holding just enough not to let the sedum dry, like they needed it. We
0: thought watering would be so easy.
1: Exactly. We'll be right back. <laughs> Good morning, welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Give us a call, 260-5926, or you can text questions on Facebook Live. You can stream us at kwamradio.com, and you can listen to our podcast whenever.
0: Yeah, and I had uh, a good friend of mine, Hunter Ivey, he texted in and said, "Um, uh, Veda, can caladiums fade this time of year? It says uh, some of the mass plantings that he has around the house seem to dissipate about this time each year. And i also curious if moles eat bulbs.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, you know, on the caladiums, it's funny you should ask about that because I just got a bunch of cal- caladiums in um, the garden center, and mm-hmm. they're looking great. And we're planting them and things like that. Mm-hmm. But I agree with him. Sometimes I see where you, where you think they're fading, and I'm thinking they're getting just a little too bit too sun. wet. And, and maybe a little too much sun. Yeah, it could be a little too much sun. Um, and I think he's meaning more like they're usually standing upright, and and now they're just kind <coughs> of bending over, and a leaf will die here, a leaf will die there. Or the
0: colors just aren't as vibrant mm-hmm. uh, now as yeah. they were back in spring. I, I, I do, I've never noticed caladiums losing their viability as far as mm-hmm. the color. Right, I haven't either, um, so... And I'm like you, you know, whether, like, they're standing maybe a little too wet or a little mm-hmm. too dry, and that can cause... You know, I guess some of lose some of your pigmentation mm-hmm. that way. But no, I mean, caladiums, they kind of, to me, as far as I know, as far as I've always noticed, yeah. they kind of keep that color all the way right. through.
1: Yeah, they they do keep their color. And I'm thinking he's meaning fading. I, well, I maybe interpreted it wrong. You're thinking color, and I'm thinking of this. They're kind of going. No, you're talking, eh. yeah, talking about the color. Yeah. yeah. And I'm thinking he's like going there. Eh. Now, there, there is a variety that can take full sun oh there are quite a few varieties that
0: can take more sun. yeah more
1: sun yeah so possibly if you had one that needed more shade you know and it was getting more sun that could fade but i don't know i just see them burn or keep their color either one just burned or keep their color so so
0: so i don't i don't think that i've ever noticed caladiums just losing their color Mm -hmm. Because it's late into the summer, right? Okay,
1: you know, caladiums you can grow indoors too. <laughs> they still keep their color and look good as a colorful houseplant.
0: Now, you know, some plants might not. There again, you might not have you might not have as many leaves out there. Mm-hmm. You know, this time of year because uh, you've lost some of them. You had to go in there and clean them up or whatever. But no, I mean, I think if you if you just feed them a little, put some bulb food out there. Mm-hmm. The Aspama bulb food. Uh, you're not going to burn anything with it. Uh, keep that vibrant color going. Yeah. Now, as far as moles eating bulbs, Mm -hmm. absolutely not. Delicious. Now, a vole will a v o l e Mm -hmm. will eat bulbs and roots and everything else in between. But a mole is not going to eat Mm -hmm. anything other than bugs and grubs.
1: Yeah, they're just they can disturb. You know, they might run right through your caladium patch or wherever, and they could disturb it some. But if your roots are gone, it's a
0: that's a vole. vole, yeah, v o l e. So now, like you said, you know. Do we like moles? You know, I don't yeah, in my they're yard. They're
1: so fluffy and cute, and their noses are very interesting.
0: it's oh, so their little duck feet—they're
1: <laughs> they're soft. See, they <laughs> and their just... little duck feet, yes, they're darling.
0: But now the vole, now the vole is definitely a problem. The v o l e. I mean, because that's the little mean little monster that's out there eating the roots mm-hmm. off everything, leap we'll bulbs and everything in between. Uh, but a mole, m o l e, it's just going to eat the the grubs and the worms. So. Uh, The moles are not eating bulbs. Now, speaking of caladiums, you know, if you don't dig your caladium bulbs up every year, uh, you can't count on those to come back at Mm -hmm. all. I mean, they usually just rot during the winter, of course. Uh, Some people do dig them up and store them and and plant them every year, Vade, as you know. But... um,
1: now, the vole could be eating the caladium bulbs somewhat, which would then make the caladiums kind of sag and look dreary. So we could go that route too. But have you, I don't think I've ever had anybody talk about a mole eating their caladium bulbs. Maybe they do Or a like. vole, you mean? Yeah, I do mean a vole. Yeah. No, I mean, mm-mm. no. But anyway, so they, they just surprise you every year. Put so, it that way. <laughs>
0: so, so I, I guess the answer to this, in, in short, is mm-hmm. I don't think that I've ever noticed caladiums losing their color this mm-hmm. time of year because it's this time of year. You know, a lot of yeah. things do. You know, you get late summer; they just start looking tired. Mm-hmm. They just don't look as brilliant and vibrant. Yeah. Um, but no, caladiums keep on going. And then, like I said, moles, M-O-L-E-S, are not going to eat your bubs. Absolutely not.
1: Well, thank you, Hunter, for that text. And if you still have more questions, just send it across. Hunter does a landscaping. Oh, he's and a things great guy. Like Hunter
0: Ivy, Ivy's mm-hmm. lawn lawn care service. I mean, he's yeah. really a good guy. And
1: I was like, oh, what a name to have Ivy at the end in your working and gardening uh, scene, you
0: know. <laughs> and speaking of Ivy, Miss Veda. <laughs> yeah,
1: uh, that's funny. Do you have a list on your thing about Ivy? Well,
0: you know, we've talked about mm-hmm. this before, but the spots on the Ivy, and I'm telling you, anytime that we go through a wet season, mm-hmm. uh, and and people that have Ivy, uh, first of all, a lot of people lost. English ivy uh this year because of all the wet weather we had starting back in November all the way to April right right it was just yeah. so wet all spring uh and people that had ivy out there that didn't have decent drainage they lost a lot of that ivy okay and then the ivy that was left uh, you know when you start getting a lot of wet weather uh, you tend to get these black and brown spots on mm-hmm. the ivy and if you read about it, of course, it's either you know bacterial or, or fungal. Um, so if you're if you've got English ivy out there under a tree or as a ground cover wherever, and, you, and you're seeing these uh, black spots on the leaves, ideally get out there and, and spray with uh, either I would either use mancozeb or copper. Okay, those or Daconil. Uh Those are just really good fungicides to control either the bacterial problems you might have or the fungal problems you might have. But you also, you know, ivy is one of those things where it's really a tough ground cover, Veda. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, if the conditions aren't right. Then uh, it's
1: just a weak little yeah, <laughs> o no, fan. Yes, yes. It is.
0: So, you know, good drainage uh, mm-hmm. is a key, uh, actually pretty high pH. You know, you, you never yeah. think about liming. Uh, ground covers i mean because you don't
1: right ever but but
0: ivy is one of those uh, that you do want every year or two put some Mm -hmm. lime out there in that bed
1: and then when you treat with the fungicide like the copper that you were talking about or or yeah also you they the humic acid will help in the soil too Uh, so you can get a liquid humic acid and you can spray it all over your ivy you know to get it dripped down in the soil such a great product because that helps build the carbon in the soil and as much enrichment can that you can give to your ivy will help it grow out of the issue also so doing your fungicide doing your fertilization at the same time And dry. there's the dry humic acid, which is real easy to use too, liquid or dry. I think all that would help along with the
0: fungicide. Oh, there's no doubt about it. And then as far as the fertilizer goes, you mentioned the fertilizer. I mean, I would use something that's completely non-burning or either a water-soluble. Non-burning would be something like a plant tone or a Mm milorganite. I mean, you can go out there pretty heavy-handed, put that out there, not have to worry about it. And then there are liquid plant foods also. And then you mentioned the humic acid, VEDA. Uh, that's like dumping, I mean a a dump truck load of just good manure out there in the bed. I mean, that's right. that's really what it yeah. amounts to
1: because you can't actually <laughs> dump it out there because then all cover it all covered up and you'd have worse issues. So the liquid, yeah, and yeah. and that's
0: really what the humic acid, I mean is it, it it's the same thing as is just a dump load full of great manure, mm-hmm. honestly. So you make the con- growing conditions, you know, better. <laughs> But we've, we've seen and we've heard a lot of problems with ivy uh, this year. Actually, they're again, I think starting back because of all the wet mm-hmm. weather we had in the spring. In fact, I know a lady uh, that had a probably a 20-foot by 8-foot bed of ivy right in front of her house mm-hmm. and lost every spring. Well, it turned out, I, was, I went by there one day after work, that in the bed it was only like two years old. But the bed was like a little swimming pool. It was just, it was holding water just like, I mean, a Mm -hmm. little thin dish. Yeah. Uh, And I mean, and it was almost, I mean... You could stick your Ooh. finger in there, and it was probably like a, a half an inch deep of water. So
1: she could have done bog plants,
0: I, I, almost Dana, water I, I'm gardening. I'm serious. And, mm. and, and I think when they created the bed, uh, I, I believe it settled a little bit oh, to where, you know, it was almost like an indigen that was just holding all this mm-hmm. water. And uh, they went back in there. They raised the bed. They added more soil in there. Uh, and I asked the young lady the other day how the ivy was looking. looks absolutely mm-hmm. beautiful. So – you know, even though we've had a lot of wet weather, if, if it drains correctly, mm-hmm. uh,
1: then you're fine. <laughs> you're yeah. fine.
0: But if it's holding water like this bed was holding and it was nothing but ivy in the bed, okay? Uh-huh. Uh, it's, it's not going to make it. It's so that simple.
1: It sounds like it probably started out okay, but then the soil
0: was sinking. Yeah, because it what? was a brand new bed they created. And they
1: didn't, like, tap out the air pockets. Uh-uh, uh-uh. And so it just, yeah, yeah, that makes sense.
0: I mean, it was like pouring water mm-hmm. in a frying pan. I'm <laughs> serious. It was just holding water just like that. And, um, you know, there are some plants that we can get by that actually, you know, can tolerate a little wet feet mm-hmm. uh, and some plants that can't. And this is just one of those, you know, ground covers that if it stays entirely too wet or it doesn't drain at all, it's just not going to make it. I don't care what you do to it.
1: No. And so there are some plants that like the moisture, but that's more like the ones that you find around the ponds, like the pitcher plants and the horsetail reed Um Pickerel rush, mm-hmm. the papyrus. I'm trying to think what, other, you know, cannas can take a lot of moisture. You yeah, know, that's and,
0: a good place. But And so well, can elephant ears. Yeah. And, I mean, there's a lot of things that can we can get by and, mm-hmm. and actually thrives in pretty wet soil. Yeah. But for the most part, what we're talking about are, you know, all the ground covers out there, all the annuals, perennials, and trees and shrubs. Typically speaking, they better get decent mm-hmm. drainage out there.
1: Right. Willow oak, bald cypress. I'm still on what could t- at yeah. first. I'm like, what can take moisture really like that? And then all of a sudden, all these things just lecothi, mm-hmm. yeah, like yeah, because lecothi you see that growing on the side of the ponds, um, button bush. What's another one that takes moisture that we see on this? Oh, itia, mm-hmm. you moisture. It, which will moisture. grow anywhere, yeah, and yeah, because the things that I mentioned also wouldn't have to have. Uh, Wet soil They could still grow In your regular soil Just not drought soil So
0: when you were doing Landscaping Veda And you You know Were preparing beds I mean You would definitely Create good drainage You just Mm -hmm. would Because you knew How important drainage was But if you had situations Where it was a low area And I don't care How much stuff You added to the soil Yeah you improved The drainage But Mm -hmm. you know That after every rain It's still going to stay Pretty darn wet I guess you had to be Very selective on the shrubs and or trees that you yeah. put in those areas
1: yeah and so then basically it means you're building your landscape off of that issue because of that soil so and those plants are just different than what you're going to use on the rest of the landscape so a lot of times it's hard to build off a wet area and so sometimes we put in a patio there <laughs> okay let's Go to a break, or did we just come back from a break? No, we got to go to a break. But
0: I cannot believe that you would say, (laughs) instead of planting plants that can tolerate the wet, wet area, no, it's a good place for a patio.
1: (laughs) We'll be right back. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid South Gardening. So, we were talking about the ivy, and a lot of people ask can ivy kill your tree? Well, it's, hold um, on. Now,
0: what do you mean? If you've got ivy, which most people do, up mm-hmm. under these big trees, yeah, as a ground cover, right? And then we see from time to time Where they're letting it just grow up mm-hmm. in the tree, correct? right?
1: Right. So, yes and no. If you have your ivy grow up the trunk of your tree, but you keep it trimmed so it doesn't get up in the branches and all,
0: I like that look. Yeah, also, yeah,
1: that's it's not going to kill your tree or cause uh, disease issues. And a matter of fact. It's a great place for beneficials mm-hmm. to hang out through the season. Can Bene- you just see a beneficial hanging out on a ivy? No, when you leaf? say
0: beneficial, you mean <laughs> an insect. <laughs> yeah.
1: Right? Beneficial insect. So it's got it's great for wildlife. Um, and you know, ivy can bloom too, the English ivy can bloom. I see it bloom here every once in a while, but not a huge amount. Mm-hmm. But it's a good bee pollinator too.
0: So you're saying now what about ivy under the tree? You That's, know, as far yeah. as holding too much water.
1: That one is one where it kind of falls on us, yeah. where we seem to be. Because, you know, ivy can go a pretty good amount of time without being soaked. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes the irrigation is running three times a, a week for the yard, and it's also irrigating the ivy. And then that's when you get issues. But also
0: if you've got ivy, you know, under the tree, mm-hmm. okay? And let's say you have it growing up five foot on the trunk, yeah. and you keep it pruned right there. Right. And it looks really good. But after a heavy rain, you know, the mm-hmm. moisture is going to stay, it's going to stay more wet under that ivy yeah. uh, than it would at the ivy whitened there. And I was just mm-hmm. wondering, you know, does that pose a problem? Oh,
1: no, Mm-mm. no, it doesn't. Because, you know, it drains off, cause especially because of the vertical verticality that yeah. it's in. So it drains off quick enough. It doesn't hold any diseases or anything like that on the tree. You know, and the moisture can stay on the foliage and cause the uh, black spot on the leaves. Yeah. What is the bateri- bacterial? Bacterial? Yeah, and well, leaf there's, spot? there's both
0: that look very similar. Mm-hmm. There, there are bacterial spots that get on the English ivy. And like I said earlier, there's, there are fungal spots mm-hmm. that get on. But you treat them the same. And like I said, those three fungicides, beta liquid copper, mancoseb, mm-hmm. and daconil I mean, that would be my top yeah. three. Uh, and because, you know, if English ivy stays too wet, Uh, You're going to get some of that Mm -hmm. And and usually we're growing ivy in shade Yeah, uh, And sometimes we're trying to grow it in too much shade To where the the foliage just doesn't dry like it should So, I mean, every every ivy bed's a little Mm -hmm. different But you're saying the biggest thing to take away from that Is just don't let it just climb all the way up to the top of your tree Because
1: then it kills the tree Because it, it goes on the limbs, on the foliage And eventually just smothers it out but it's not going to kill it just growing up the trunk and then keeping it uh, pruned so it doesn't continually grow. Yeah. And don't let it grow up the trunk like 10 feet because then you have to have a ladder every time to prune it. Well, you may as well leave the ladder hanging there because you're going to have to it so prune it so much. But it is a good it's a pretty clean look and it doesn't. A lot of people used to say it damaged the brick or the mortar on your house. Well, it doesn't do that either. Now I would say if you had really crumbly mortar in between, you know, on the bricks and the ivy would attach to it. And if you pulled the ivy off the wall, it could take the already crumbled mortar out with it. But like a house that's (coughs) mortared together properly or it's just not old, the the English (coughs) ivy roots or feet as we call feet would uh pull it out
0: Well, and they say now you know think about some of these buildings you know we're thinking about a home that's only 10 to 20 30 years old Mm -hmm. but some of these buildings that are a hundred years old okay uh they do take the they're i've read where they're taking the ivy off of these buildings Mm -hmm. like i said veda because two reasons it holds moisture behind the the ivy and it, over a hundred year period, can weaken the mortar. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then a hundred year building is probably going to have a little weaker mortar anyway. Yeah, So, you know, y- they are taking a lot mm-hmm. of the ivy off of the, the front of those buildings for those reasons. But I'm like you. I'm, I'm not worried about if, if I've got Boston ivy or English mm-hmm. ivy growing on the side of my house. I'm not going to not let it grow there because I'm thinking it's going to hurt my right. brick, you know?
1: Yeah, and then Boston, obviously, since it loses its foliage, it gets a, a chance to dry out if that was an issue in someone's mind. And also, we're really not going to let our ivy be growing on our house for 100 years, well, and 50 that's, that was years my point, maybe. Right. So, I mean, but that's interesting that they're taking it off the houses I mean, because even, it's been there so in, long. Even in
0: Harvard, you know, the Ivy League, if you mm-hmm. will, uh, a lot of the older buildings up there, they have taken the ivy off of those buildings. Yeah. Uh, and it's, you know, it's iconic, you know, the ivy, you know, because we've always seen that, the pictures and everything. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but because of the structure, uh, it, I mean, the little the little tendrils get in there and they, and they mm-hmm. have to get in there to hang on to whatever surface they're on. But the biggest thing was that it was holding moisture behind that ivy. And just the mortar staying constantly staying wet, mm-hmm. uh, was, I guess, speeding up the degrade process, if yeah. you will.
1: You don't think 100 years was speeding <laughs> it up, <laughs> any? That's my point. <laughs> so, yeah.
0: So, yeah. And, 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 and last thing I'll say about ivy also, we're so used to seeing just the old-fashioned green mm-hmm. English ivy, which is absolutely beautiful. That's typically what you see under the trees as a ground cover. But there are so many different varieties of English ivy. When somebody there comes really in, oh, uh, when yeah. somebody says, Come in, you know, do you have English ivy? Well, let me show you. <laughs> you know, and there's more, lots of different green uh, variations of English mm-hmm. ivy, many, many different uh, variegated versions mm-hmm. of English ivy. So it's not just that one simple green yeah. English ivy that we're so used to seeing under the trees being used as a ground cover. Oh,
1: well, and the variegated English ivy is actually really, really hardy, too. Oh, I love it. I know. And we don't ever seem to use English ivy to grow up the side of the wall, the variegated kind. But mm-hmm. um, let me see. Two, 2013, 2012, actually, we planted some variegated English ivy yeah. in a container and a um, no, abilia. That's a long time ago, yeah. Ten years ago. Ten years ago. And an mm-hmm. abelia. It was a long clay Container, long, uh, clay container. What am like, I? Terracotta. Like a or, yeah. Thank you. Terracotta. And not huge, but we planted it, left it, it was sitting on the ground. To this day, the variegated ivy still flows over. It's attached to the ground and it's got a pretty English ivy bed that wow. goes around this terracotta container, and then the abilia is uh cut up a little bit so it's a little bit taller shrub and so you're telling me that there... 10
0: years later this stuff is just gorgeous. keeping on trucking
1: yes but we do know the roots came out of the holes of the container uh-huh. and is in the ground of course we'll be back after these messages for another hour
0: The garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990. Powered by Palladio Home and Garden. With your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder.
1: Good morning, gardeners. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. We're in our second hour. A little bit more awake today.
0: Yeah. If you want to give us a call, 260-5926, 260-5926. And, Veda, like you Mm -hmm. said, you can go to the Mighty990 Facebook page and uh, shoot us a text or a comment. Mm -hmm. And then you can always go to kwinradio.com. They're streaming live all the time. And you can listen to the podcast later on if you missed the show this morning. Or if you, like you said, fall back asleep. Yeah,
1: just in case you do. You know, like, I'm about to do right now. No, no, you're not. <laughs> no. Okay, I'm awake, ready to garden. And, and it just, is.
0: Let's go. And just a recap on the first hour. You talk about scale mm-hmm. insects on hollies. You know what to do about that because it's a real deal. And I think we're seeing more, and I think we will see more insect damage and our fungal damage because of all the stress we've had. Starting back with all the rain and then ex, you know the extreme heat and drought that we had this year. So something to watch out for. Talked about the spots on the English ivy, Mm -hmm. you know, bacterial or fungal spots and what to do about that. Uh, And then talked about the wonderful attributes, beta, of earthworm castings. And like I said, we've used them forever, but the more I read about them, Mm-hmm. And, and a little bit goes a long way with these castings. That's I mean, very it, true. I mean, they are—it it is packed with power. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you.
1: Yeah, it's it's almost like a concentrate because you <laughs> just have to use a little bit.
0: It's it's amazing. But so, I use
1: always more than a little bit. Well, we always do. <laughs>
0: we always overdo it, but you can't overdo castings, mm-hmm. or you can't overdo manure hardly. Yeah. So uh, earthworm castings, guys, uh, it's really the secret. Uh, especially, especially, of course, you can use it in container, uh, in in plots, but especially good for container-grown plants.
1: Yeah, and we're not saying that you plant, um, like, use worm castings as potting soil. No, no, it's just an additive is all it is. Yeah, just an additive. And
0: then we talked about, uh, you know, be careful using a heavy potting soil. Mm -hmm. You hurt
1: your back trying to pick it up. (laughs) Well, unless you
0: want to use a heavy, but this young lady used a really heavy potting soil, that had water retention additives to it and it just it was just holding too much water for what she was trying to do right so be careful with that or if you do have a heavy potting soil with water retention additives to it Mm. don't water as often as you think you normally should boy something like
1: that I think I would only (laughs) use that soil outside in small pots (laughs) so and uh, because outside in big pots, it still might hold water
0: too long. Oh, it! I think it would. Yeah. Maybe even more of I mean, because mm-hmm. if, if it gets rained on, I mean, oh, it's just yeah. going to hold water forever. Right. True. So, I mean, unless you're growing plants that that want a pretty mucky soil, uh, and this was just a typical house plant, like I said, mm-hmm. a peace lily that. Uh, was sentimental to her, mm-hmm. and she did not want to lose this thing, and she thought she was doing the right thing. Yeah, oh yeah. Uh, but just by
1: how it s- was worded on the label, yeah, you would go. I would go if I wasn't doing a lot of gardening or not at, like an avid gardener. I would go. Well, this is exactly what I'm exactly. looking for. Exactly, But she was
0: just watering like she normally watered, mm-hmm. and it was just it was holding too much water. So we're just saying be careful. There, there are a lot of different types of potting soils out there on the market. Okay,
1: right, and we're saying look for. <laughs> Fox Farm, Earth Mix, uh, and Faffer. Those are like the three top ones, really. And boy, have I went through top soils and um, container <clears throat> garden soils and just all kinds of soils trying to get the right mix. And the the Earth Mix is from Monrovia. And they had made, Monrovia had made their own soil-like 10, 12 years ago.
0: And this was for the stuff they were growing for sale outside.
1: Yeah, 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 because Monrovia is like one of the top growers and then they were selling the soil mixtures that they use to grow things. And then, so we were using it at the garden center to grow stuff in and all of that and it was so awesome. Well, then for a period of time, they they didn't do it. Mm -hmm. And that was something that I I really missed. You know, there's something takes a place of something and on down the line. And I'm like, okay, you know, but I was really missing that that Monrovia soil. And (laughs) then they uh, started making it again and they actually make it in in Nashville. But they've uh, called it a different name, but it has all kinds of different flavors, you know, reasons to use it. So I really got attracted to the Earth Mix, And then the Fox Farm came along, yeah. which is really, you know, almost equal. Earth <laughs> Mix probably has some more different varieties than Fox Farm has. But you just, when when a customer leaves with those types of soils, I feel very, very confident yeah. that they're going to have success. Yeah, because it
0: does make a difference. Just a good, well-drained soil. Yeah. So be careful with that. It's too, like guys. your insurance. Yeah, it is. <laughs> and then one thing they did that. Uh, that I've seen more this year lately mm-hmm. than I think I've seen in the last five years uh, is the dreaded old cane bore.
1: you know yeah. And for
0: anybody that's got a rose, and you know we'll go out there and we'll cut the canes, right? Mm-hmm. And usually when you cut a cane, it' it's, it's solid yeah. you know all the way through the cane. Even the pith, the little soft pith mm-hmm. that's in the in the middle of the cane, talking about a rose, is, is solid.
1: I've never seen one, and I didn't know they were out there intensely, and you're yeah, seeing them. and
0: I'm, and just all of a sudden, I mean, mm-hmm. even in the last couple of weeks, mm-hmm. I've had uh, people bring in either a cane that's got a hole in the center of it, right. and they're like, what's going on here? Or they'll bring in leaves that have like half moons cut out of it. Mm. Uh, so, But what happens with, with roses uh, is there are – mostly there are wasp out there and bees, but they'll lay an egg, Veda, uh, in the pith of that, on top of the cane on a fresh-cut mm-hmm. rose cane. And that thing will bore. So it turns into a larva that bores down into the cane. And a lot wow. of times, they'll just bore all the way down to the crown, and they'll, you know, really mess your roses up.
1: So they could go all the way through the cane, all the way down uh, through the to, trunk and to the crown.
0: And to the crown down there, into the bud union, you know? Wow. So if you've got roses, uh, go out there and make your rounds, and, and look at the uh, at the canes, at the top of the canes, and see if you see a hollow hole uh, in the cane. and And if you do... What they say do, Veda, is get in there uh, with a pair of snips and start cutting back the cane until Mm -hmm. you don't have a hole in the center of the cane anymore. Does that make sense? Until you get to good, solid tissue. Mm -hmm. And then really start sealing the top of the canes. Uh, I don't care if it's Elmer's glue, wood glue, you know, Elmer's uh, all-purpose glue. Yeah. Uh, they they want you to seal the top of that cane. Just a couple drops up there, and kind of just rub it with your finger. Right. And you're good but to no go. No
1: wax, right? <laughs> I've seen people do wax.
0: <clears throat> I've seen people do that. But even years ago, when it seemed like this was a big problem, mm-hmm. they were selling it looked like a big chapstick really thing. You uh-huh. know, it was, and you just turned the little thing out and rubbed it on the top of the cane. excuse me, and it sealed the cane, right? Mm -hmm. But, you know, Elmer's glue, wood glow, anything like that is, is just as simple, but I don't know why all of a sudden I'm seeing more and more roses Mm-hmm. that have cane bores infecting the canes of these roses.
1: And I guess it wasn't just one variety, like all oh, no. the knockouts. Oh, Lord, I cross- don't care
0: what kind of cane, I mean, what kind of rose it is, whether it's a hybrid tea, mm-hmm. Floribunda, the shrub roses, they all can get it. Yeah. Uh, and it's, like I said, it, it you know, years and years ago, we you know, we always saw a mm-hmm. good bit of it.
1: Yeah, and then uh, we didn't for a while. No, so I, I wonder what's changed in the environment. That,
0: I don't know. That's
1: caused, you know, this to happen again. And that's always – I always love to find out things like that. Like, for instance, when um, – I guess it was the DDT that was invented to um, –
0: Eradicate mosquitoes
1: Yeah And wasps And gosh I totally forgot Let's go ahead And go past that Well but I, I was Going
0: to say that You know Every year It seems like they uh, You know There's a bug Of the month Or a bug Of the year mm-hmm. You know This year It was the, like The cottony leafhopper I mean They were everywhere On every plant yeah. Right uh, you know, last year I think it was the spittle bug, You know that mm-hmm. we saw so many of that yeah. we hadn't seen in so Gosh, long. It's
1: been a year since we talked about the spittlebug. Yeah, I mean,
0: but it, every <laughs> yeah. year it seems like there's just this influx of this particular insect that
1: hasn't been around. Yeah, and right? All of a or we it hadn't shows really shows talked again. about. Right? Yeah.
0: And and like I said, all of a sudden, you know, late this year, uh, I'm I'm getting a lot of reports of the cane borers and the roses. And the reason we bring it up is if mm-hmm. you've got roses and and people love their prized roses, Theta. I mean, love them. In fact, you know, a lot of people have other people come in and take care of the roses for them. They love them so much because they really want them to thrive. But, you know, take a minute, walk out there, look at the top of the canes, see if you see that hole, you know, in the top of that cane. If you do uh, start cutting those things out of there and come back. And it's really important. Seal the top of the Mm -hmm. canes. All you got to do.
1: Right. And I said I never do that, or would have thought to do it, because we don't ever have those issues enough to want to do it. But now it looks like it's it, by. it,
0: it, that, it Let's hope not. Yeah. But I don't. But I've maybe it's just this I've easy. seen already three or four cases of it in the last That's three crazy. weeks.
1: and I do mm. remember what I was going to say, but I'll say it after the break. So give us a call: 260-5926. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid South Gardening. Okay, so what I was going to say when we were talking about the, like I said, why, I wonder why all of a sudden we have the cane boars. And then I was like, uh, what in the environment, what in the environment has changed to allow to have an influx of the cane boars? Which then reminded me of the time, of course, I wasn't there, but when. Uh, wasp spray was invented. Mm-hmm. And so people could just take the wasp spray, of course, it, and everybody was just spraying wasps. Everywhere they saw a wasp nest, whether it needed to be sprayed or not, it was sprayed, sprayed, sprayed. <laughs> well, wasps are predators of a lot of caterpillars and the hornworm caterpillars, too, because wasps will sting caterpillars and lay their eggs, and the eggs are like a parasite and it kills the caterpillars. Well, there was an influx in caterpillars everywhere, and they couldn't figure out why. And it was because we started using the wasp spray to kill the wasp, which then enabled the caterpillars to take over because the caterpillars had no natural predators. Oh,
0: there's a chain event going on out there, yeah, for sure. Yeah, so, you
1: know, what is it that we change that makes something—I mean, sometimes it's just natural weather change that there's nothing we can do. You know, if we get a warmer climate, then we have the insects— the armadillos, mm-hmm. the things that didn't like our cold winters and our cold climate. And then we started, we went up another zone. We were like 6B and then we went to 7. Here comes Mr. Armadillo. Right, and fire ants and Japanese beetles and, you know, all those just come moving in. I, it's you, warmer. I just
0: keep waiting on the scorpions to come move in. Oh,
1: my goodness. You know, that's the one. That I'm not so sure. I remember in Texas sitting in the floor watching TV and just watching a scorpion with its just run across the floor.
0: Yeah, not used to seeing that.
1: Not at all. And and after I thought I would be totally safe, you know, in Texas I'd stay outside. I had no clue they'd come in the house.
0: But you made a good point, though, Veda. I mean, I think back in the day uh, when we saw one bug, we nuked the whole landscape. Mm -hmm. Honestly. Uh, Now, I think people are, are, I think they're really doing more target spraying. You know, if we have lace bug on our azaleas, I mean, we're spraying the azaleas. Right. We're not spraying every shrub we have in our landscape, uh, as an example. Mm -hmm. So I I really, because anytime you do go out there and spray, I promise you invariably, you're also killing some beneficial insects. Right,
1: yeah. Yeah. And and you can't
0: help that. It's going to happen. But if you've got that balance going on where you've got bad bugs out there, which we always will have, but you've got a lot of the good beneficials out there, a lot of times they'll just kind of take each other out. you well, know.
1: So for what you're saying, just reminding me, and I know a lot of people have probably read mm. this or seen this, but if something is mm. not eating your plants, then your garden is not part of the ecosystem. That's true. That goes with what you just said. I mean, that is so yeah. true.
0: But uh, but beneficials are really really important, and y- you know there are some plants like roses, for example, unless they're the shrub roses, the mm-hmm. knockout roses, but they're the old hybrid teas and grandifloras and floribundas. I mean, there are actually we have to spray those fairly often, mm-hmm. okay, and just by default of having to do that, you know, we're. We're almost making our rose bed somewhat sterile, if you think yeah, about it. Yeah. Uh So that's why we got to really stay on top of that. But you know, it, it's it's one of those things where, uh, you know, you mentioned DDT a while ago. Mm-hmm. You know, and they were running around in the trucks and they were spraying DDT for mosquito control and everything else. Well, yeah, because we were trying to knock the mosquito population down. Right. Well, but also that's got some side effects to it, also right
1: and it seems like everything does the side effect of having too much fun is you want to have more fun (laughs) but there's a side effect (laughs) well the side
0: aspect of spraying is well if i spray everything that i own then i'm even doing better right
1: well i'm thinking too if we're spraying early morning or late you know dusk time pollinators are not um,
0: they're not as active right. early early in the morning but or, then
1: we're also learning you know there's all kinds of beneficials that we don't even see I mean even those little bitty bitty wasps that are pollinators I actually watched one of the I mean they're tiny 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 wasps that's a pollinator but I watched it um, just fly all around that little Kate um, autumn joy that Mr. Paul had hybridized, named named for after his wife, yeah, Yeah, little K, and so I was watching just a little bitty, it looks like a little bitty sweat pea, but it was a wasp, just pollinating all those little flowers, Mm. and and I'm thinking, you know, usually you would think that it was a bee that would have been doing that, and then I would think Mm. this was just a bad insect, that needed to get off my plant. But yeah. when really now I know it's a good insect.
0: Well, it's like you said. I mean, we look over there, and if we're not seeing a bumblebee or a honeybee, right, all the other bugs are bad bugs. And that's, that's right. That is, yeah. And that is not the case, yeah. not even close to the case. <laughs> uh, Audrey, she texted in, Audrey Fielding, she's, uh, she listens and, and, and texts in from time to time. And thanks, Audrey. She said, something is going on with my son' patients. Great one day, molted like dead the next day. <sighs> you know, I can say this, and and I can tell you what happened to mine. Mm-hmm. My wife uh, wanted to plant sun patients in front of the house this year, okay? And our house faces dead west. And out of all the years to plant a sun patient, <laughs> and it's called sun impatient, yeah. uh, that can tolerate more sun than regular impatience, right? But out of all the years, uh, this is the year that she wanted to put sun patients in front of the house that faces dead west, Because you know what kind of summer we had. Yes. Now, the sun patients that were behind the tree that got a little relief, they look better Mm -hmm. than the ones that were getting full sun. I gotcha. In fact, the ones that were getting full sun are are basically gone now. Okay. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're just, yeah, it was just impossible to, to keep them hydrated. And then I think we were overwatering when we were trying to keep them hydrated, right? Yeah. Uh, and and just the sheer heat and, and the amount of sun that we're getting. Uh, so, Audrey, I mean, all I can tell you at this point is, yeah, you want to keep your your sun patients hydrated. You can definitely go out there and feed them. And I think uh, if they're still if they're still alive and viable, I think for the next two months is going to be the best yeah, months for them. Right. Quite honestly,
1: you know, I would. You know, sometimes it's hard to get the fertilizer to the plants because they get so tall and full and they look great and you're trying to get to the soil, but I would definitely, in this case too, take earthworm castings and just try to throw it, you know, across the soil underneath them. Um, do a root stimulator. Maybe the gro- the tops grown too much, and there's just not enough roots to pull enough moisture through the day, and they need that night of rest to be able to come back out. So I would throw worm castings out there and use the seaweed uh, super thrive mixture together well
0: okay yeah because the super thrive has seaweed in it now yeah yeah so
1: that so that would work out perfectly as to uh rebuild it and make it look good and they're so amazing i had one uh sun patient in a six inch container and it got and set down on the um cactus table and of course the cactus table doesn't get water mm-hmm. we're monitoring that ourselves. So, therefore, that plant, that six-inch New Guinea, or some patient, did not get any water. So, it came in on Monday.
0: And this was over the weekend? Yeah, and didn't get just any water. flat as could
1: be. Mm-hmm. And I thought, okay, let me just put it over here in this bucket of water. I know it's not going to come out, but I'll deal with it in a minute. So, I came back, and it just flushed out as gorgeous as yeah. could be. Yeah. But the thing <clears throat> is, is that caused a tremendous amount of stress, so in order for that to recover and bloom good again, I need to loosen the soil, yeah. add some fertilizer to it, maybe even root stimulator. Because, you know, some of the roots were dying, some of the root hairs, and then it's going to recover fine and look good. Otherwise, if I just watered it and left it in that container, it's in, it's in its worst conditions and will probably not recover pretty.
0: But I guess with Audrey, you know, all she can do is, uh, you know, make sure they're, like I said, hydrated, but not wet, Mm-hmm. Um, use the uh, the Super Thrive, like Veda was talking about. You can just mix it with water, pour it on the little root system once a week for about a month. Yeah. Um, and um, um, you know, and I and I truly believe that sun patients. I mean, I love them when they're blooming. That is nothing is pretty. The big blooms, the pretty foliage yeah. on there. But I, I tell you what, I learned this year that there are different degrees of sun out there. <laughs> Yeah, and, and I'm telling you, Betty, they just could not tolerate uh, this blazing hot arid mm-hmm. area where uh, where they were planted. Now I can say this also that the the trench that I normally put bedding plants in yeah. in front of the house. It's actually got pretty good soil in it, okay? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's the front part of the bed, but yeah, it's been worked right, up. right, right. Well, my wife went right behind the trench, and they were planted in more clay than anything, okay. which is not so really the best like, soil mm-hmm. for these things to be in from day one, yeah. okay? And I think that had something to do with it also. But, it, Audrey, if, if they're in good, viable soil yeah. and they're still dying on you, uh, then I'm telling you, it's got to be root-related. Right. I mean, it's it really is.
1: And then, you know, check things like by chance. And I don't think this is her problem, but uh, as we've said before, especially in the summer, it starts happening where the mulch gets so matted together that you can be watering like crazy, but right under the mulch is as dry as can be.
0: Or you could do like I did and use soil conditioner, which is really ground-up pine fine. I mm-hmm. use that as a mulch thinking... This would be the best stuff in the world. It's going to be okay. easy to spread. Uh-huh. It's really fine particles, so water's going to pass right. Do not, I repeat, mm-hmm. do not use soil conditioner as a mulch. Yeah. I'm telling you, baby, it, <laughs> just, it, it is. Just, it is so hard to penetrate as mm-hmm. far as water goes, and it's kind of like what you're just talking about with the crusted mulch on yeah, top. It right. acts like an umbrella. Well, I'm telling you, soil conditioner <laughs> does mm-hmm. the same thing.
1: Yeah. You know, I know people that do that, but they more or less don't really use it as a mulch. Where you're doing a mulch like an inch thick, they're kind of just throwing it out of the bed, just out to in dust the bed. It. Yeah, just to and aid in aid in it breaking down in the soil. But they're not using it as a mulch. Well, do
0: not and use the, that as a mulch. And I'm a telling mulch you. is
1: half inches, ha, half an inch to two inches, anywhere in that range. But some footing. people six inches. Oh yeah, this is true. Up against those trees, they just—we can't even say. We'll be right back. Good morning, and welcome back to Mid South Gardening. Glad y'all could join us this morning. We were just talking about shrubs and the different kind of shrubs that people are going for and and liking. And like Kenneth and I were saying, you know, so many people have their base shrubs, their hollies, you know, their short hollies. And or your boxwoods home. and yeah. your
0: azaleas. And, you know, those, I mean, you, those are your staple. Yeah. You're going to find those in almost every landscape.
1: Right. You got to have a hydrangea, which I don't, which I'm seeing more and more. And the and,
0: reason Veda is... Because there are so many, so many hydrangeas yeah. on the market now.
1: Right, yeah, it, and you know that endless summer, it's blooming again in our lives.
0: Yeah, and it's not just the hydrangeas that you and I grew up with, mm-hmm. talking about our age, okay, that grow in the shade. Yeah. Uh, the paniculata varieties that can take all the sun you want to give them. Have beautiful mm-hmm. white blooms, summer blooms, in fact they're in bloom right now. So it's almost impossible to have a landscape without some type of hydrangea yeah. in the landscape.
1: Yeah, because now there is a space for it, mm. er, or there is a hydrangea mm. for every space yeah, absolutely. now. Absolutely. There really is. And uh, camellias, Japanese maples. I would say camellias and Japanese maples go a little bit more on the beginning to be a collector, not a collector garden, but branching mm. off of your standard.
0: And you know, that. and we've always said this, and and we'll talk about them every year, our camellias, that I definitely think it's an under-planted shrub, underused shrub, really, underutilized yeah. shrub. Camellias, um, you know, all the attributes, they have beautiful evergreen foliage, great bloom. Some of them bloom in the fall, some of them bloom in the spring. Uh, There's so many different varieties uh, in different sizes. Some of them only get, you know, three and a half to four mm-hmm. foot tall. Some of them get, you know, 12 foot tall and everything in between. So... There is a, you know, that's another one of those plants where there are so many places in our landscape that we can use camellias um, as a evergreen shrub. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah,
1: because that Shishigashira, it's not a very tall one at all. It's um, it could be like four feet at the max. Mm-hmm. So there you go. You've got a hedge right there that blooms. Yeah, and it, you
0: know there, there's the cinque varieties that used to have the smaller leaves and the smaller blooms, and then the japonicas that have the bigger leaves yeah. and the bigger blooms, uh, and 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 some hybrids, but they're 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 plants that they're like you just said a while ago that people more and more people are using them in their landscape Mm
1: -hmm. yeah and then now we're starting to go into some more ornamental grasses Mm -hmm. because there's always a spot and ornamental grasses sometimes can be hard i'm trying to pick the ones that are the the cleanest that don't die out Mm -hmm. in the middle Mm -hmm. some of them get so huge and we're trying to plant them on small plots.
0: Well, but there's a, there again, you know, we, there, that's another perennial that is underutilized, in my opinion. And those are the different types of ornamental grasses. Yeah. Because there's an ornamental grass, there's a size for every location. Right. Uh, and there's so many variegations, uh, greens and variegated, but it, in the pluming uh, plumage that you're seeing this time of year, uh, they and they're usually tough as everything. Once they're established, you, you I mean you can't kill mm-hmm. the things. And you mentioned some of them that died in the center. You know that really means it just be it needs to be dug up, divided, and replanted. Yeah. That's right. all you have yeah. to do.
1: And that seems so difficult to me, <laughs> but we really. do it. Yeah. You get four out up, and then you have four new ones.
0: And then there's some new shrubs, new earth shrubs on the market. You know, uh, loropetalums are still a big deal. Mm-hmm. You know, they have the real pretty purple foliage and the pink blooms usually in the spring. Uh, Distilliums They do a lot of people Instead of planting boxwoods uh, They're planting uh, Dwarf distilliums out there Yeah Uh, You know When distillium first came out You know It was like the linebacker It had the big leaves And it got Mm -hmm. really big Okay Mm -hmm. There's so many out there On the market now uh, Of this particular uh, Hybrid shrub Uh, There there are some That have smaller leaves Thicker leaves More green blue leaves More copper Yeah I mean But I'm telling you It is a tough Tough plant And case to point, also, two years ago when we lost all of the Indian hawthorns, okay, um, because of the winter, Mm -hmm. you know, there was hardly an Indian hawthorn left in the city. A lot of people went out there, whether it was an auto-looking laurel that you're losing because they're staying too wet, Mm -hmm. Indian hawthorn that you're losing because it was too Too cold, cold. a lot of people are replacing those with plants like distilliums. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because
1: distilliums have different looks, Which is true. Some are upright, and then some look great in containers. Oh, I'm telling you. Yeah, so I remember there was one distillium that came out, and now there's six varieties, seven maybe? If not more, at least. Yeah, and the same with... The hydrangeas, like the endless summer, the double blooming. There's so many varieties of hydrangeas I can't even pick. How would you have them all in stock? You couldn't. You know, you couldn't, that's for sure. And this is, fall's coming up is like the most excellent time to plant. You know, we're still in the middle of August, kind of going toward the end of August. It might be not so difficult to to plant now because we're going into the cooler season We'll be home a little more, I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a lot of times we're saying don't plant because it's too much on us. <laughs>
0: yeah. and, and then two plants that I wrote down, I jotted down. Uh, one was Beijing Beauty Mahonia Holly. Uh, and, you know, it's similar to the soft caress uh, Mahonia Holly Veda. When you and I were growing up, there was just a big leaf Mahonias. Yeah. You know, the big flat leaf Mahonia Holly. And we yeah. planted them because they were just tough as everything. You couldn't kill no, no. the dang thing. They had
1: the yellow blooms and kind of like the grape light yeah. berries. Well,
0: in, in like now they're, they're different varieties, much more smaller foliage, mm-hmm. a more elongated foliage. I mean, really pretty. Who would ever, who would ever say a Mahonia Holly was pretty?
1: I know exactly. I mean, honestly, yeah, you yeah, would yeah. never say I that. I never think because they don't grow to their prettiest potential here.
0: They are pretty. Well, but but, not. but the old-fashioned Mahonia Hollies were not pretty at all. I mean, to me, it was just an ugly green shrub that we stuck in that corner to eat up space that we couldn't kill. Well, now that they've come out with these newer hybrids like Soft Caress mm-hmm. or the Beijing Beauty Veda. They're much better-looking shrubs. I mean, I love the way they look.
1: You know, I haven't even seen the Beijing.
0: Well, it has a little wider leaf than the soft caress Mahonia holly. A little thicker texture. I mean, it's it's, it's similar, but Mm -hmm. it's just another one of those hybrids that they come out with. Uh, And it gets, um, you know, four to five foot tall, four to five foot wide. Still has the, you know, real pretty yellow blooms in the fall, the berries in the spring. Uh, and you can plant them in containers. You can put them in beds. I mean, it's it's just another one of those shrubs that they, in my uh-huh. opinion, have made really improvements to as and far as like the a, appearance.
1: And that's like a shade. Yeah, a shade. And when then we a, need a few more different texture of shade plants. Yes, so. we do. Okay, so the Beijing
0: Beijing, Beijing Beauty uh, Mahonia Holly, and okay. then the other one is the Crown Jewel Cliera You know, we've all grown up with the green leaped it yeah. has that real thick, waxy, shiny leaf uh, that also can grow in part shade, okay? Well, the Crown Jewel, what I love about it, Veda, it is it's got a variegated leaf on it. Nice. Yeah, like so it's it. just not that green, you know, like everything else out there, which I love. Don't get me wrong, but it's good to have some variegation out there. So the Crown Jewel clearer. now it gets pretty big. It's 8 to 10 foot tall and, you know, 5 to 6 foot wide. Kind of like the you know Cliera japonica that we sell that has the green leaves, right? Yeah. Um So it could take full sun to part sun, and you can plant them as individual specimens. You can create little hedges and you know out of them barriers out of them. But those two plants, uh, I was just thinking about those two yesterday. That they really there's a good spot in every landscape mm-hmm. for those type plants.
1: There is definitely especially mm-hmm. i love clear clear used to be the uh, red tip replacement yeah, in a way people you know, that we could, <laughs> yeah we couldn't think of anything because red tips are beautiful but they get so many diseases here Talk about the endos- red tip fotina yeah and uh so we were like well we can do cleara, which is kind of similar it can give you the copper foliage the red new growth foliage evergreen yeah but then all of a sudden we're like oh those are too big yeah. So now these are going, they're, they're starting to have some smaller ones.
0: Well, and the variegated leaf is what I love about the the crown jewel. Because
1: if you do that in the shade area, that gives you some some light in the shade. Because, you know, a lot of times you don't see your shade plants because they're all the same color green.
0: <laughs> and, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with the old-fashioned plants that we've mm-hmm. always planted and we always will. Yeah. But every year they, they're coming out with new shrubs uh, that come on the market. Some of them are, are great. I like some of them, you know, I really could care less about.
1: You know, the one thing I'm having trouble with uh, trying to like <clears throat> or wondering if it's really a thing is the Althea. Because the Althea now, they're I mean, these are becoming so popular, I see, to order with all the different varieties of colors. But I, I know that at one point, nobody wanted an Althea.
0: I think they're the real deal, though, because... You can get the pure whites, you know, mm-hmm. you can get the pure pinks out there. You can get different, the variegated. I'm talking about the blooms. Yeah. And they're <laughs> tough as everything. I they mean, bloom
1: you, in the summer. They
0: bloom in the summer, and they mm-hmm. remind me of a, of a hibiscus bloom. Uh, and they're tough as everything. Now, they lose their leaves. They're deciduous. But, Veda, I, I, I think, and you're seeing, I see a lot more althea, which is Rose of Sharon, mm-hmm. being planted in commercial landscapes. Are you? Yes, yeah. uh, uh, in, in a Kroger parking lots mm-hmm. and those kind of places uh, because they're so tough. And you do get that beautiful, uh, you know, bloom in the mm-hmm. summertime. So it's funny you said that yeah. uh, because, you know, the, that was one that we grew up with. Give, you know, mm-hmm. give me one. I'll take it. Yeah. If not, I can. I don't care. Right. Uh, but with the, the newer cultivars that are out there and in in maybe even a little smaller bloom on some mm-hmm. of them um, it it, but you get a, a ton of bloom on them i think it's one of those plants that are going to be around for for a long time
1: yeah. i'm one yeah mm. because, uh, some people call them grandma plants too they used to call them well, hydrangeas the same way How yeah, many new but hydrangea now, varieties are on the market right well the reason why i was bringing it up is because i'm mm-hmm. was doing the ordering for our fall plants and I see all the list of Altheas and I'm going... What is it?
0: The white chiffon and the pink chiffon yeah, that's out there now? I mean, yeah, there's, and there's and so many different... There's so
1: bright. many more. I haven't even got to mm. absorb them. But I'm thinking, do we plant or do people want these or are the industry just trying to push them? I don't know if I should get them in the fall because they'll just be sticks in a bucket. Right,
0: because they're going to lose their leaves right. in the wintertime. And it's right. almost
1: kind of like, well, I guess I need to get it more when there's foliage and starting to bloom, which is almost summer, but who wants to plant in the summer? But I think I'm going to try but there, to get them. But
0: think about it. I mean, there's so many of those deciduous shrubs, like you know, deciduous magnolias. People mm-hmm. still love those. Uh, deciduous altheas, like you're just yeah. talking about, beta. A lot of the viburnums that lose mm-hmm. their leaves, whether it's the eastern snowball or the Chinese snowball, you know, that lose their leaves. Um, you know, so, you know, there's, there, in fact, I, most of your blooming shrubs, most yeah. of them are going to be deciduous. Yep. They are going to drop their leaves. Isn't
1: that funny how that works? All right, we're going to go to a break, so get your questions together. Two six zero five nine two six. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Now we have to talk a little bit about houseplants. Oh my goodness, all the new houseplants that are coming in.
0: But if you want to give us a call, 260-5926, 260-5926, or shoot us a text on the Mighty 990 Facebook page.
1: Or you can post your question on uh, Facebook Live. You can check us out there. So some there was a survey that asked, why are we liking houseplants?
0: Well, I tell you, it and we said something about this a couple of weeks ago that I never, ever would have thought that in the last, what, two years now, mm-hmm. maybe three, but two years yeah. for sure, I mean, houseplant sales have gone crazy, and it's mm-hmm. nationwide.
1: Yeah, yeah, I just cannot believe it. It's amazing, and it's exciting. And what else I can't believe is... How these exotic plants are all over the internet for a huge amount of money. Oh yeah, but then you can get an exotic plant at the garden center for like a third of what you can get it on the internet.
0: Well, and, and a lot of people that come into the garden center buying house plants. Well, a, they want a house plant, but there are some people that that got they've got a apartment or a house already mm-hmm. chock full of house plants. Yeah, but they want that last variety of that particular plant mm-hmm. that they don't have yeah
1: i mean you know like like my aunt said how did she say that um philodendron just isn't your grandma's philodendron anymore because no, there's it's not there's so so many varieties and two that i've gotten in that are unique like are pink princes. pink princes and the other one is fire ring philodendron yeah. also that's one more new but one But that's
0: my point they can have the philodendrons, mm-hmm. the old fashioned, but they don't have this new variety yeah. yet. So they buy, it, they want it, right? You know? And
1: this philodendron has pink in it. That's why it's yeah. pink princes. And sometimes you'll see a white. I mean, and I, it costs
0: a little more than your typical little philodendron. Yeah, but yeah, guys, it, it they, you hit it right on the nail. I mean, mm-hmm. houseplant sales, and who knows if it's ever going to stop? I mean, right. but it, it, it's really unique, and it, it's pretty nice to see mm-hmm. how people have taken an interest in having green foliage plants in yeah. their apartment or their house
1: oh it is and i can see why you'd want something exotic too because you know you go everywhere and you see a smat a spath you see the regular yellow green pothos ivy um uh, you know there's a few plants that you see like the old in commercial Sheffalera, yeah you know. all those so i can see why people are wanting something different to look at in their home and like the pink princes is in a four-inch container. is what we've got it in. Y'all probably do too. And four-inch round, right? Which is going to be like seven, eight times more than a regular generic plant in a four-inch container. Right. So somebody came in and they were like, "Have mercy," you know. And I go, "Well, it's a collector's plant." Yeah. And then, of course, there's a lot of money because you have to pay the patent. Yeah. Also, you know, throughout the years. So, you know how people go, well, I'm going to look it up on Amazon or whatever. And um, they see
0: how much those things yeah, cost Yeah, and online. so we're
1: selling it for this price. And then it's four times. I mean, it was up in the $300 range yeah. for a little four-inch pot. Yeah. And I'm like, no, no. <laughs> well, no. <laughs> we're not selling it for that.
0: Yeah. yeah. But it's uh, there's so many of the houseplants out there. And there's so many uh, cultivars of the old-fashioned house plants, Veda, that we've all grown up with. But it is truly amazing how this generation, and I mean that in a really positive, good way, uh, have really attached to wanting houseplants. Uh, And I think, you know, a lot of that could be that we just, some people just don't have the time to get outside like they want to. They don't have the space, you know, the green plots Uh, whether it's, you know, a courtyard or whether it's a yard, Mm -hmm. you know, to really enjoy. So they're bringing the outdoors inside.
1: Oh, yeah, that's what we that's what I forgot we were talking about. So, yes, you're exactly right. That was that was the number one reason why they were buying houseplants was to bring a touch of nature indoors. Well, there you go.
0: Yeah. You know, and they and they're truly doing it.
1: Yeah, that was like 67 percent. Um, 53 was to beautify my home. Mm-hmm. Um, 50% was fulfill my love for gardening year round.
0: And 40% was just to see how fast I can kill that particular right, plant.
1: Right. Oh, that's on the second list. Okay. Gotcha. Um, 39 was purify indoor air And uh, 27% was reduced stress. And probably because if they actually knew reduced stress really, really worked, that would be at the top
0: of the list. But the top of the list was to bring the Mother Nature indoors. Yeah,
1: And so then the reasons that they didn't want to, and these are all Facebook and one's off Instagram, so the numbers are pretty similar. So that's why I'm only quoting one. But the first, the 14% where they don't know how to take care of it, 17%, 17%, they don't have a spot for it. Yeah. Uh, 49 was don't have enough light. 19 was this I might I'm, kill it. <laughs> yeah, and this is
0: why people didn't, didn't have houseplants. Yeah. And
1: worried about pests. Mm-hmm. So actually, not having enough lights is a real easy fix. You know, because now there's so many varieties of grow lights
0: and, you and there's know, so many house that that will grow in low light. Yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. That, too. And the other good thing about all the uh, grow lights that are available mm-hmm. is you can just get the bulb and put it in your nice looking lamp. And then put a plant underneath it. You know, you could just have one table with a grow light in your lamp and have a number of collector plants. It's not
0: this big setup that you used to have to, yeah. you know, have a particular socket and mm-hmm. particular, you know, everything for a grow light. Yeah. Like you know, Now, like you said, you just screw it into right. a regular.
1: Yeah, because, uh, I mean, there is one that we have that is a big green cord and then it has bulbs hanging off the cord. Well, you know, that's fine for a greenhouse condition or whatever, but you don't want that look in your den.
0: And so, what about, Veda, yeah. now some of these houseplants, um, like Calatheas, I think, and some of the other ones, where you have to have used, you want to use distilled water. Mm-hmm. You don't want to use, you know, water right out of the tap. Yeah. Uh, and like I was telling this lady the other day, I said, you know, you can make your own distilled water. Just pour your water in a, in a bucket and mm-hmm. let it set overnight. Yeah. You know, the chlorine gas is going to release from that water. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, yeah. you might have a little fluoride in there, but... You know, you're you're more or less still creating distilled mm-hmm. water. You don't have to yeah. go buy these jugs of distilled water. But I was thinking, I wonder if it's better just to water, you know, all of your house plants with distilled water, or is it just, you know, there are some that, like mm-hmm. your calatheas, that you just want to be careful with. Yeah.
1: Well, you know, but one good thing is our water is good here. It's
0: great and here.
1: So we're we haven't used any special type of water we just use our city water and especially if you let it set up
0: overnight yeah you know the chlorine is going to release out of there right
1: but things we have so many plants and things dry out so fast all we're doing just filling the bucket and dry filling the bucket watering yeah so we don't have not used any special water however i would say plants that you're because like us you know we're, we're keeping them a month or so, and then they're going to a, a new home. Well, somebody's going to keep
0: them for years. Right.
1: So then you may want to start um,
0: using d- you know, distilled or on, dechlorinated yeah, water dechlorid. or distilled water. Because,
1: yeah. you know, like only a very few have some issues, but mostly you're fine with what we've exactly. got. Exactly. We'll be right back for another hour after these messages.
0: The garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990. Powered by Palladio Home and Garden. With your hosts, Veta Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder.
1: Good morning and welcome back. Also wanted to mention in the shrub category that you were talking about shrubs and unique and and pretty. And then some of the yellows. The, um, gosh, I can't. Sun King Aurelia. Hmm. And it dies down all the way in the winter but comes back in the spring and it is just
0: why beautiful, do you like it so much
1: beautiful yellow mm-hmm. and the uh the way the leaves lay it's kind of weeping but not really weeping and um the color is not chartreuse not yellow mm-hmm. not green you know so it's just very flowy mm-hmm. in the landscape and then the anise Remember the, the yellow Florida one? Sunshine. Yeah, that's it. The Florida sunshine. That's a really good one too. And the anise can be considered native. And you know that was the one I was thinking. You know, like Fothergilla is native. Yeah. But then if they hybridize off the native, what do you call the hybridized? It's Are they hybrid. still a hybrid native? I guess.
0: <laughs> but 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 what they've done is they're 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 creating shrubs that have more interest as far as the color whether it's variegated whether it's a chartreuse whether it's a yellow color veda especially for those shaded environments where it kind of just highlights it it lightens it up a little bit but it's funny how you know normally we're just so ingrained with our thinking that when we see a yellow shrub and it truly is a yellow shrub Mm -hmm. oh there's got to be something wrong with that.
1: You know, See, that's what a, cl- a lady you know, said had, yesterday. We need to put some iron yeah.
0: around it. What's what's wrong with that yellow shrub? That's, no, it is a yellow yeah. shrub. You know
1: that's what she, this lady, said yesterday as we were looking around. And I don't think it was that plant in particular. Oh, it was house plants like the neon pothos. Yeah, she she was like, no, that looks like it has a problem. Any.
0: Plant whether it's a house plant, a shrub, a ground mm-hmm. cover, or a tree that has yellow leaves. Yeah, a lot of times we're turned off because we're growing up. Mm-hmm. You know that was always a potential problem, yeah. right? Right,
1: right. So it's really all good now, and you actually pay extra for the yellow <laughs> leaves. Right. <laughs> oh uh, my God.
0: Even hostas to some ex- to some extent have oh, yellow leaves, and you know. Oh yeah. Oh, what's, what's wrong with that hosta, Veda?
1: Right. Nothing. No, it's supposed to be that color, and it costs twice as much because <laughs> just like if you come to my garden center and you get a plant with the weed, I charge you more.
0: Oh heck, yeah.
1: Because I worked on growing that weed in there. But that's
0: funny how you know we just we can't get out of that way of thinking Mm-mm. because that's the way it's always been. And they're coming out with plants now that purposely look like they're anemic,
1: you know? Oh, my God. Yeah, because when I lived in Texas for a little while and worked at Garden Center there, and for sure, anything that had a, a yellow leaf had an iron deficiency. Exactly. You know, a couple yellow leaves. So at first, when all the yellow flavors of all these shrubs started coming out, instantly your mind just went to, oh, nutrition problem. That's funny. But so now, but now I look at it and go, oh how beautiful, you know, what textures that has and the different colors that's going to create in your landscape. So it all depends on how oh, much you know that's right, or how much you don't know. Exactly.
0: <laughs> and what about beta uh, cavities in trees? Mm. You know, it's yeah. especially older trees or trees that have limbs cut off improperly, uh, trees that, you know, might have been lightly, lightly. Is there ever yeah. uh, lightly struck by lightning, you know? But anyway, um, I mean, so a lot of trees out there have these cavities in them. I was talking to a lady yesterday, and she has a cavity uh, in a tree, uh, which is just, you know, a hole in the trunk of the tree, okay? Mm-hmm. And this is an older, mature tree. And she's like, you know, what in the heck, you know, can I do? Uh, and what I, t- you know, back in the old days, they'd say fill that thing with sacrete, you know, right. which is probably the worst thing you can possibly do to the cavity of a tree. Just pour some concrete Don't in there. Don't ever do move, that, yeah. ever, ever, ever. Because the concrete, you know, it, it really doesn't fill the cavity for the most part. And it, it, it and then water is still going to get in there. And it actually holds water longer. It takes much, you know, you, you just mm. never, ever use concrete in the cavity of a tree. Now, what I told the young lady yesterday is ideally is get like a, you know, a putty knife or a spoon, especially if it's a bigger cavity, and kind of just gently uh, kind of scrape out the the spongy, rotty, yeah. loose debris that's in there. It's kind of uh, satisfying. As, as best you can, you know. <laughs> yeah. So you want to clean the cavity, and then a lot of people will go in there, and they'll spray an insecticide in the cavity. And then I don't mind coming back and filling the cavity with the, you know, just the spray insulation beta that you can Mm -hmm. buy in a can. You can fill that thing up with that. Because
1: that'll, like, get into all the holes. It will.
0: It it will actually fill the cavity, okay? Now, and then I still like, even if I use the spray insulation, I still like the idea of still trying to seal the outside Mm -hmm. of the cavity, uh, and whether that's with, you know, a pruning sealer, whether mm-hmm. it's with, uh, you know, a uh, orange shellac, you know, or, or something that, is, that you, when, the, when it rains, you want the water to kind of just run down the trunk of the tree and not run into the cavity. Because that's the problem. Anytime you have a cavity in a tree, the problem is water getting in there. Yeah. And it just, you, it, it just continues to rot away. Now, most trees, believe it or not, have cavities in them, especially mm-hmm. the bigger oak trees that we have here in Memphis. And uh, some of them, you know, we never even notice. They're up in the tree. You never even notice it. But they can be a problem. And it's not only on oak trees. It's, it's a lot of other trees. So, and then another thing that I'd read about the cavity of a tree, they they would clean it out. They would spray a good insecticide in there. They'd fill it up with the spray insulation, right? Let that dry. And then some people would get like a metal plate and put the metal plate over yeah. the opening, oh, well. okay? And then <laughs> seal it with plaster out of all things. <laughs> you know, that's, to me, going a little far with yeah. it. Uh, and then back in the day, we would also hear about drilling holes, you know, in the mm-hmm. cavity to let water drain out. Yeah. Um, you know, most arbors say that's not really a great idea. So people would cut these yeah, in the bottom of the draining. cavity to let the water run out because, then again, water is the problem, mm-hmm. right? Um And then some people just leave the cavity alone and let them try to callus back over on the outside. But I'm all about, I just never think it's good to have a cavity in a tree that can hold water
1: yeah yeah because i mean just causes it to rot more just like wood on the side of your house yeah you know now when i was growing up we walked through the woods granddaddy would um, show me all kinds of things and so i thought cavities and trees were just a normal part of life because that's where the raccoons lived or the possums or so we would walk around through the woods and you'd see the trees with the cavities in them and Granddaddy would tease me, like, go over there and look in there and see if that possum looks eye to eye
0: with you, you <laughs> yeah, know. Bite you in the nose.
1: Right. And so then you learned kind of which what animals like the cavities of trees. And then when you would look in picture books or draw pictures of trees and all, you'd have the tree and the apples on the tree. But you always grew the cavity, grew the cavity in there.
0: Isn't that amazing?
1: Yeah. And so I just thought, well, that's just part of nature, cavity in the trees. But, um, no, because it, it just rots the insides Yeah, out.
0: and a lot of times you'll see the cavity also where two big limbs, you know, our trunks come together. And oh, for, yeah, and the crotch the of the tree right like there. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, there again, I mean, I just think overall, uh, you know, if if I have a chance to clean out a cavity and fill it up, uh, seal it, you know, that's mm-hmm. what I'm going to do. Uh, you know, there are some cavities, like I said, that are, you know, small to where they're not really going to be much of a problem, Veda, but it, I, I just want people to be aware that, you know, especially the people that used to use sacrete or concrete to fill these cavities. First of all, I'd rather you do nothing mm-hmm. other than, you know, if you're going to use concrete. I'd rather yeah. you just do nothing at all, honestly. Yeah,
1: and, you know, a lot of those are like the really old school methods. That's right. Because now there's there's more things, but at the same time, sometimes we don't even... Really think to find out if there is another method No,
0: and, and you know back Another one of the old way of thinking Was when we cut a big limb off of a tree We'd go in there and use the pruning sealer mm-hmm. Now yeah. the arborists are saying No, not so fast You know, you don't even have to use pruning sealer But I don't mind using pruning sealer To seal the outside of the hole After you filled it up mm-hmm. I think that's a perfect reason To use something like pruning yeah. sealer
1: Right, right Because, you know, we're saying Wait till it calluses or collars over you know so it can heal on its own and then you can apply the things right. to keep it from getting wet again because you know the concrete i think was poured in just for the stability of the tree they really wanted Well but they thinking. also said
0: that was part of the problem too because the tree will flex and bend where the concrete mm-hmm. especially mm-hmm. if you're pouring on, I mean because some of these people would pour a lot of yeah, concrete into yeah. a big cavity And it was too rigid, you know? Mm, So. Yeah,
1: didn't think of that. That's a good point. Because, I mean, they have to move and bend. uh, They better. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Or they just cannot. And uh, so, yeah, that's a good reason for concrete not. And then, of course, we have to learn by our mistakes. Yeah. You know,
0: sometimes it just takes many years for us to learn by our mistakes. It does. Keep that in mind, guys, if you've got, uh, you know, cavities or, or, a cavity in Mm -hmm. your tree especially if it's holding a lot of water that's the only thing I don't like about these cavities
1: and if you have mushrooms or or pith or stuff like that like where the uh, the root flare is or even from the ground to the root flare that would be a reason to call an arborist as well because you could have the roots are having issues but clean all that out real good and
0: and I know we got to go to a break but a lot of times also they don't some of these trees where from the outside you no, they look great. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you could truly see on the, the inside of some of these trees, yeah. it, it would scare you to death.
1: Right. Yeah. I, I don't mind diagnosing tree problems, you know, smaller trees. But when they get larger, arborist. Yeah, yes. All right. We're going to be right back. Save your questions. two six zero five nine two six. 260-5926. Good morning, gardeners, and welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. I think what we'll do first is go to our caller, Cookie, from Bartlett. Good morning, Cookie. You're in the garden. Hey, y'all. Hey, thanks for the call. Well, you're welcome. I can't wait to get out there this morning with the weather like this. And I wanted to move some cannas and some irises of my grandmother's. They're probably 100 years old, but Mm. now there's so much in the shade. They just don't bloom at all. If I dig them up, is it okay to move them now or should I wait till fall? And should I cut all the foliage off the top and just move, you know, I guess the bulbs that are down there? Well, you know, it's really crazy, but to me, but the Iris Society does their planting of their irises in like August, September, So, yeah, so, but I would definitely cut the tops off where you leave little slips, like two or three inches of the foliage.
0: So you're cutting them back later before you dig them up and move them. Yeah,
1: right. And then do that. And then, of course, just keep them moist since we're tearing a lot of the root hairs. The
0: cannas. And are these, on the cannas, Cookie, are they the tall cannas or the dwarf cannas? They're tall. Yeah, I mean, I would probably cut them back at least halfway, you know, and dig them up and move. You're not going to. You're not going to hurt those no. cannas, I'm telling you. <laughs> That's
1: true. Uh, Caterpillars turn them of Yeah, exactly. They
0: do. <laughs> na, na, and you can either do it now and it take advantage of this beautiful weather we have right now, or you can even wait till later on this fall. But now, keep in mind, you know, this is August. We're going to have some more hot weather. Yeah. So if you move them, yeah. cookie, just be prepared. You know, when it starts getting hot and dry again, you know, put a little yeah. moisture out yeah. there and make sure those things stay hydrated.
1: Okay, and put root stimulator. On, yes, our right. favorites, the Super Thrive with the seaweed. Yeah, yeah Wait, does like, that ever expire? I found no. an old mm-hmm. bottle. Okay, no, yeah.
0: Yeah. and just mix it with water. A little bit goes a long way, Cookie. And you know, normally it says, you know, apply this stimulant like every two weeks. Initially, when I plant or transplant something, I like to do it once a week for about three or four agreed. weeks. Yeah, you know, agreed.
1: Okay, okay. All right, thank y'all so much. You're All welcome. Right, Cookie, thank you, dear. Thank
0: you for the call. Have a great weekend, Cookie.
1: So, you know, there's always been that thing of, should I burn... Will putting my wood ashes in my compost pile help or put it in my garden and help? And I've heard a lot of people say, no, it doesn't help. But I, I decided to look up some of the universities and see if they've ever tested the um, wood, Using ashes. wood ashes. Yeah, look, long as it's wood ashes. I think, if anything,
0: it's going to raise your pH in it.
1: Yeah, well, it's got calcium, potassium, aluminum, magnesium, iron, phosphorus, manganese, sodium, nitrogen, boron, Candidium, chromium. Okay, you can
0: stop there. Got, right. Yeah. My God. It's
1: got, it's got all the minor nutrients needed. It did say it could raise could, your pH. Because it's got the calcium Yeah, because it's got the calcium. But they're now using it to spread over farmlands because so much of it goes to the landfill. Mm-hmm. But why would you throw something away that has some nutrients in it? I mean, it's not an exorbitant amount. But every little nutrient helps and helps build your soil. And if it's going to go to the landfill, but we can use it as a, another nutrient to our soil, then why don't we do it?
0: Yeah, and, and this is just, like you said, just typical wood, wood ashes, ash. Not, yeah. not charcoal that's had lighter fluid in it or anything like that. Just regular old wood ash. Right. Uh, and I remember, uh, I think it was my grandmom that would go out there and she'd put it, uh, I guess, around maybe some of the hydrangeas. Mm-hmm. Uh, to change the
1: color. I think it would be,
0: it'd make them more pink yeah then it would blue but i've always heard of people using wood ash in um, their landscape even the garden for to raise the ph kind of like putting lime down but you're saying it's much more than just calcium it's got a Mm. lot of this other stuff in there
1: yeah minor nutrients um and it's they also said that wood ash has a liming effect of between eight And 90% of the total neutralizing power of lime so it can increase plant growth up to 45% over traditional limestone.
0: Well what happens is I mean any plant that we grow we you know ideally we want it in the right pH Mm -hmm. and so many times we'll see where you know the pH is either too low for a plant or way too high. Uh, but, there, I mean, lime raises pH, sulfur and aluminum mm-hmm. lower the pH. Right. So I'm like you, Veda. If I got a vegetable garden or yeah. a lawn or a clematis or ivy beds or boxwoods mm-hmm. and so many of these other things that want that that pH to be a little higher, yeah. I mean, you, you're not going to hurt putting this stuff around yeah. those time kind of plants. Now, I wouldn't put it around Isaiah's.
1: Yeah, that because, the
0: soil more acidic. Right, right.
1: And of course, you know, just a little bit that you dump around your uh, plants don't, um, it doesn't do something immediately. No. It's just the whole process. And like what you're saying, they're using this wood ash on agricultural product, uh, properties, which they're not using them in your azalea fields and your camellia fields and all of exactly. that. Exactly. All right, we're going to go to another caller. Before we take a break, we're going to go to Barbara. Good morning, Barbara. Thanks for the call this morning. You're welcome. I have a question on my hydrangeas. Mm -hmm. They're starting to get small brown spots on them. that get bigger and bigger. That's right. They look
0: awful. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it's not uncommon, Barbara, uh, you know, later in the year uh, to start seeing the leaf spot, the endosporium leaf spot or these leaf spots that are on these hydrangeas. Now, typically, what I tell people to do is a couple of things, Barbara. One is any foliage that's on the ground, try to rake them out of there. Get them out from under these hydrangeas. Blow it out, rake it out, whatever you have to do. And then go back in there and spray a fungicide. Now, I would give it a good spraying on a day it's not going to rain for at least 24 hours. And try to spray in the morning or the afternoon. And then come back in about two weeks, Barbara, and spray again. Now, what you're doing is you're spraying to prevent further infestation because it won't clear up any spots that are on the hydrangeas now. But it's not uncommon to see those spots on these hydrangeas this time of year, even though I hate the way they look. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's Daconil okay? Daconil would be perfect to use on those hydrangeas, Barbara.
1: Okay,
0: well, I will get on that today. Yes, ma'am. Good day to do it.
1: Thank you. Thanks for the call. Thanks, Barbara. A lot lot of people have questions on that. I usually because it does. It's not like a total killer of the plant at all. It's just very unsightly. It is unsightly. Yeah, um, and it
0: does cause defoliation. There again, it's not killing the plant, but it just makes them look horrible.
1: So, fertilization with organic products definitely a good thing because since it defoliates early, you know, it takes more nutrients to. come back to to flush back out. So if we keep going through that, um, the the fungus is in the soil, and when it rains or we water, it, it makes it jump back up on the foliage. So organic matter that has good fungal properties in it will help combat the bad
0: fungus. And that's why I want to barber also, any leaves that have hit the ground, get them out of there, yeah, blow them out, yeah. rake them out, clean it up as best you can, come back and use that Daconil. Now, Daconil is under the name of broad spectrum fungicide Mm -hmm. you know uh, they used to call it daconil because that's the old common brand name but it's a broad spectrum fungicide Um, so if you're looking for daconil the active ingredient is chlorothalonil right yeah so there's there's so many different ways you can ask for daconil but she already had Mm -hmm. some and it's a really a good really good fungicide well
1: back um, a number Mm -hmm. number of years ago before we started studying or looking into aspects of what synthetic fertilizers can do to the soil they oversprayed a rose garden a lot with daconil just just too much over the years Mm -hmm. and years and years, but no one was replacing it with organic matter. Mm -hmm. So what had Mm -hmm. happened is the daconil had also killed off the beneficial fungus in the soil, which was allowing the bad fungus to grow, which was then giving it more black spot, which they were spraying more.
0: The vicious cycle there.
1: Right. So now we're learning to do these two together. We concentrate on the health and then, if we've got issues, we start small.
0: And that's what you're saying, to Go out there and, and feed it with a good organic fertilizer, whether it's, there again, Milorganite, Plant Tone, Holly Tone, any of those mm-hmm. tone-type products. Uh, you can put a layer of light compost, even earthworm castings up under there. Mm. Oh, as far as the roses, As far as yeah. the overall he- uh, <coughs> health of the hydrangea. But I'm with uh, Barbara. I mean, you you know, you you really want to get rid of that, that leaf spot disease Mm -hmm. that's on there, even though it's not going to kill the hydrangea.
1: Yeah, I look at them, too, and I'm thinking, I know that's not a major problem, but I hate looking at it. But here's the other thing, too, that this stuff, the fungal spores and all that, actually start before you ever see it, you know. So when you're seeing it happen... It was already developing up to a month ago. Yeah,
0: but also keep in mind, uh, depending on the type of hydrangea, some of them are overcrowded. Some mm-hmm. of them have overhead irrigation. Yeah. Some of them are actually in too much shade. I mean, there's, mm-hmm. so there's different factors involved
1: Exactly. while we
0: see that. But I've also yeah. seen it on the sun-loving paniculata varieties also that have been really yeah. stressed from lack of water.
1: Right. So bottom line is stress does allow other things to start happening to the plant. So always some good fertilization helps um sometimes if the plant's just horrible sometimes i'm just like dig it up
0: Hand me the shovel (laughs)
1: yeah all right we'll be back for a few more questions and a lot of good talking see you in a minute Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. So, I'm glad y'all could join us this morning. We've got some calls and some text call, text texters. Yeah,
0: and when uh, James called a while ago, um, he had to drop off the line. He wanted to know, when is the best time to feed an uh, established, uh, mature mm-hmm. crape myrtle, Miss Veda?
1: Well, anytime. you don't really have to now, unless you're having stresses or issues, mm-hmm. but <clears throat> Anytime.
0: Yeah, whether you're using an organic fertilizer, uh, you know, and, mo- and most of your organic fertilizers, they're again, milorganite and plant tone mm-hmm. and, you know, garden tone and all these tone products, bowel tone. The beauty of them is you can use them basically anytime. Uh, and they're going to, the soil's going to break them down, and the, and the Crepe Myrtle in this case will use it as it needs it, okay? So an organic, not a problem. Mm-hmm. A synthetic fertilizer like Start and Grow or Grower Special. Uh, Those are really good, non-burning, slow-release tree and shrub fertilizers, okay? And you can feed those, uh, you can use those products around a crepe myrtle. Uh, But typically for me, I mean, I usually would feed the crepe myrtle early in the year one time, Uh, They grow like a weed anyway. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, is it going to hurt to feed the crepe myrtle? Absolutely not. The crepe
1: myrtle will use the Exactly. You
0: know, and and overall, it would probably be a little Mm -hmm. stronger, a little healthier plant if you do put a little nutrient value out there. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's not going to hurt to to feed a crepe myrtle even this time of year. Whether you're using organics like we talked about or these synthetics like the uh, the two that I really love is the Grower Special and the Start and Grow. Uh, both of those, like I said, are long-lasting and completely non-burning. Yeah, so
1: go for that today and water it in, you know, if it's synthetic. And I like to use the plant tones and all of that because it's actually making uh, the the soil soil healthier. Mm. And then eventually the plant can take a lot of it up. And so since you're not in an emergency to have the fertilizer to it, then it would be okay to go that So you're saying if you put
0: an organic down, the organics are not going to work overnight.
1: Right. They're just not.
0: That's not the way they're geared because the soil has to break the product down. Mm -hmm. And then the plant can use it like it wants yeah. it when it wants right.
1: it. Yeah, the microorganisms and all that do the breaking down. So a lot of times mm-hmm. if you uh, are first starting your natural program and you don't have really good soil and you haven't been doing a lot of natural composting or anything like that, it's going to take longer and a lot more to get it into that, but it'll start helping somewhat yeah, so, quickly. So
0: you're right. But people, there a lot of people that use the Tone products, for example, we talk about them all the time. Don't expect immediate results. You're going mm-hmm. to get them. I promise yeah, you, you will get
1: results. But it yeah. doesn't
0: happen overnight because, there right. again, the soil has to break the fertilizer down mm-hmm. to a form that the plant can use. Yeah. Well,
1: that was like when I was fertilizing the uh, plants in containers with worm castings. It took me probably about 10 days to see the benefits of the buds coming on and uh, uh, having getting to cut back just a little bit on the watering uh, if I had used a quick-acting synthetic, I would have gotten some of that, but I wouldn't have had a long-term effect. Yeah.
0: So, James, hopefully that helped you out as far as the fertilizers that we recommend. Now, you can use even like a thirteen mm-hmm. or a 612 or any of those type products. You just got to be careful not to overdo those type products because they can burn, okay? So, And you want to make sure you water those products in. So just uh, that's why we mentioned the non-burning type fertilizers. Right. And also we had a text data from uh, Miss Shirley Smith. She said, my diplodemia has yellowing of leaves that are also falling off. I cut back on the watering, but it's still losing the leaves. I fertilize like every two weeks. The plant mm-hmm. is in a lot of sun, at least six hours a day. Uh, what can I do to keep this plant?
1: Right. I know that's, that's, that's kind of a hard one because initially I say, not enough water that's why you get yellow leaves but then if she was having the problem and so maybe maybe she still wasn't getting enough water in the first place and then thinking it was too much Mm -hmm. cut it back and so we're still having the yellow leaf that can be one thing not enough fertilizer yes well she's given it
0: every two weeks so not enough water can cause yellow leaves Mm Too much water or inadequate drainage can yeah. cause yellow leaves. Uh, so it, it, it definitely sounds mm-hmm. like it's a water Related, issue. Now, what I would yeah. tell her is it's getting enough sun. She's mm-hmm. feeding it every two weeks. Yeah. Uh, there are a couple of things. One is you always want to check for spider mites. Mm-hmm. Uh, spider mites love mandevillias, diplodinias Those type yeah. of plants They just do right. And
1: spider mites like to live on plants that are too dry
0: Yeah, and they yeah. will flat out make the foliage as yellow yeah. as everything True. So, yeah So, mm-hmm. you know, spider mites You might see just little webbing yeah. uh, At the bottom of the leaf uh, You can also, you know If you look really close Especially if you've got a little magnifying glass A lot of times you can even see the little mites um, but check for spider mites I'm telling mm-hmm. you They they love those type of plants Now what I would tell um, Shirley is Keep it moist Not wet I know that sounds redundant Crazy <laughs> But light mulch Not a heavy layer of mulch Good drainage When you water Soak this thing Make the water count But let it mm-hmm. kind of air out Before you come back And water again So moist Not wet Right, right Miss Veda and the only other thing that I might do is get a, uh, some magnesium sulfate, which is epsom salts, a tablespoon to a gallon of water, okay? Mm-hmm. And saturate that root, come back in about two weeks, and do it again. Adding that magnesium sulfate that enhances chlorophyll production could really make a difference in getting that foliage green again. Yeah you know
1: yeah so basically i mean you can tell like if it was getting too much water it should start wilting also along with the mm. yellow leaves uh you can actually smell the soil sometimes mm. if it's getting too much water or you can pull on the plant and there's uh, not a lot of resistant mm. because the roots are starting to uh to rot, rot and then if it's just drying out, it's usually still really intact into your soil. Uh, maybe she's watering and it's rolling off the sides and not saturating into the middle. So get a little the screwdriver plant. and poke yeah. some holes
0: down in the root ball there. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I still think it comes down to the water yeah. at some point, whether it was too much, not enough, inadequate drainage, because everything else sounds right. She's getting enough sun. She's feeding mm-hmm. it every two weeks with yeah. the water soluble. So I wonder but, what um, but water saw soluble. But check for those mites also.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, the mites can be an after effect of being too dry or stressed. So, yeah, check the dryness out. Check the watering, mm. you know, because like on... What happens is a lot of times is say you water your plants in the morning and they're good and wet and moist and then you come home in the afternoon and the soil's really dry but the plant's not wilted yeah. but the soil doesn't need to be even really dry. Yeah. So I had mine sitting in a container that could hold a good amount of water, water it in the morning, let it flow over. And when I got home at night, the water was gone because the plant used it during the day and the soil was still moist at yeah. night. Yeah, and
0: this one might even be planted in a bed somewhere, but usually yeah. a lot of times you do see them in containers. So I really think it still has something to do with the moisture. Mm-hmm. Um, so make sure it's moist, not wet. Uh, continue to feed, uh, you know, with a good water soluble every two weeks, if that's what you've been doing. But But I would also mix a tablespoon of the Epsom salts to a gallon yeah. of water. And do that now, come back in two weeks and do it again. And then I would definitely check for those spider mites, mm-hmm. I'm telling you.
1: Man, if it's in a container, I tell you what, if you mm-hmm. put worm castings and then water with the Fox Farm Big Bloom, mm-hmm. you're going to see some results.
0: Try it, I'm telling yeah, you. Yeah, try it. And real quick, Veda, I know we got to go to a break, but one of the things I want to talk about also, you know, we we're talking about the cane bore, um, you know, wasp mm-hmm. earlier. Um, oh, yeah. You know, the other one, you <laughs> know, this is uh, the freaking yellow jackets. And yellow jackets are wasp also. They're actually not a bee. It's a type mm-hmm. of wasp. And what that means to me is a wasp can sting you more than one time without losing the stinger. Okay? Gosh, we just can't <laughs> win. So my whole point is I've got a back bed where every time I cut the grass, I dump the clippings in that back bed. Right. Okay, which is close to the woods. And it's the best soil, the best bed that I've got in the, in the whole yard. But right on the outside of that bed where the fences come together, there's yellow jackets back there. Okay, (laughs) And I really don't care to kill them other than the fact that I walk back there quite often every time I cut my yard to dump these uh, clippings. And, you know, if they leave me alone, I'm going to leave them alone. But, uh, you know, it's one of those catch-22 situations where— if I know if I wanted to kill them, what I would do is go out there late in the day, even at dusk, with a flashlight, because I've done it before, mm-hmm. with a can or maybe two cans of <laughs> hornet and wasp killer, okay? But you got to locate the hole where they're coming yeah. in and out. A lot of times you can do that during the day, carefully see where mm-hmm. they're coming in and out of the ground, and that's where the hole is. And I can go out there at night with a flashlight, I know where the hole is, and just fill that thing up with hornet and wasp spray. Yeah. And kill those guys. And thing. then run like crazy? No, because uh, at night they're all in there. They're, I mean, now I still run. You know, I do it just <laughs> because. But then again, I really, you know, yellow jackets serve a purpose also. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're predators, you know, I mean, wasps. I mean, so I don't want to do it. Yeah. But, you know, I guess if it's just me going back mm-hmm. there, and it is, and I know where they are, and I know I don't want to get too close yeah. to them. I think I'm going to try to give them a pass this year, Veda. Right. Um, Yay. But the first time I get stung by one of these dang things. They don't get a pass. No, they've got to go. No,
1: you're supposed to go, oh, (coughs) this is what you do if you get stung. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to get too close to you. I will be better next time. No, I'm
0: not going to do that. (laughs) And yellow jackets, I'm telling you, when you get close to their little nest, I mean, they come out in a swarm. You're going to get stung stung more than one time. Yeah. And and it, it happens. But Like I said, I don't mind them being there. I don't care if they're there, Mm -hmm. but it's just that that's where I dump my clippings, and I know – that if i get a little too close then i'm, I'm yeah. running across the backyard you know like a uh, crazy man but
1: i've done that before
0: but if if you ever run across that and you do want to get rid of them i'm that's telling you guys how. that's the way i've done it and it works and you know a lot of people say you used to use gasoline well yeah i know that works but i'm never going to recommend anybody yeah. use gasoline i mean it's no
1: that's too expensive anyway nowadays <laughs> exactly <laughs> all right we're gonna to run to another break and we'll be right back Good morning and welcome to Big south Gardening. You know, we were talking about shrubs earlier. And one thing we didn't mention, because it really has multiple interests and multiple uses, uh, blueberry. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because definitely you can eat them. But they have wonderful fall color.
0: I told you about the time I was down in Birmingham. Mm-hmm. And I was amazed, they about how they used blueberries in just their landscape. They weren't out there for the blueberries, okay? Mm-hmm. They were out there for the beautiful fall color. Oh, and, I saw, and, wow. and I guess in, in parts of Birmingham, you know, they have that real rocky kind of mountainous type soil. Yeah. And they love it. I'm telling mm-hmm. you, You're, you know, it's perfect drainage. Uh, I mean, they really like that kind of uh, conditions. And uh, almost every other yard uh, was landscaped. And it it included blueberries really? in the landscape. Yes, it was, it was truly amazing, I'm telling you. Man. I'd never seen that before.
1: I'm like at that. I'm definitely going to plant a lot of blueberries because of course I love to eat them. Yeah, that's why
0: you're planting them. But
1: I really love the fall color. I love fall. Fall's one of my favorite <laughs> seasons anyway, so I'm always looking for something with different textures. Or different colors of oranges and yellows and reds. Yeah,
0: and the biggest thing with blueberries, if you've never planted them, first of all, they're easy to grow. They are. Yeah, they need more sun than shade. They're tough. They, they are tough. <laughs> more sun than shade, good drainage. And they do like that acidic soil like the azaleas and the camellias and those type of plants. Uh, they really want that pH down. And so, you know, you always want to get a pH Test or mm-hmm. check your pH to see what it is, Veda. Usually they're acidic around here anyway, our yeah. soil. But if you need to create more, if you want to bring the pH down, you know, like we've always said, add some granulated sulfur or some aluminum sulfate that'll bring it down. Uh, and if you need to raise it, of course, you add your lime. But uh, to Veda's point, uh, there are so many different varieties out there. You treat them all the same. Mm-hmm. if you're really wanting good blueberry production. Uh, you need more than one variety uh, to pollinate. Uh, you know, there's one called Climax, which is a great pollinator. Uh, so, just you—you you can't have just all of the same variety out there. Always yeah. remember that you got to have you some pollinators. You do have to have two different. You ones. do, yeah. you do, and and other than that, and more sun than shade, and good drainage, and acidic soil, man, you're you're golden.
1: Yeah. When I was ordering blueberries, I'm thinking, okay. So, I'm going to get two varieties because you need to have a pollinator. So, that means each person that buys one is going to buy two. So, I need to make sure I get uh, <laughs> different
0: you, varieties yeah, so
1: they can match. match it up. Yeah. And then I'm mm. like, oh, wait, do I need to get some uneven varieties? Because mm. somebody's going to have a blueberry and they're going to have to order a pollinator to go with it. So, how many blueberries do I get?
0: That's funny. I know.
1: Uh, I mean, think of all these things we're trying to figure out what you're going to want while we're trying to buy all of our shrubs and things. But then the pH on the blueberries, again, like you were talking. Talking about is it should be acidic. Oh yeah, um, and low we, pH. Yeah, we definitely are at the uh, have acidic soil. But I think what you said, we definitely you should still get it tested. Just bring it up to Garden Center and we can read it really quickly. Um, because I mean, it can go all the way down to like four point five, yeah. and the yeah. blueberries like that. And I don't know if our soil is naturally that acidic.
0: I mean, Do I've you know? seen somewhere. Yeah. I don't know how people walk across their yard without burning their feet. Is so acidic. <laughs> But, you know, typically, they it's, you know, 7 neutral. Anything under 7 is acidic. So that's why I said mm. typically our soils are definitely acidic. Yeah. Uh, and we're usually having to add lime to bring the pH up. Mm. But you, you, you want to know if you're planting things that are pH sensitive, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like blueberries, you, you want to know what that pH is. You really yeah. do. Uh, and it's very simple. You can buy the kits. You can send it off. You can bring it by the garden centers. Uh, but it, it, and it's easy to lower that pH if that's what you need to do. And typically, that's what we're trying to right. do around blueberries when we're planting them.
1: And then when we're saying lower your pH, it's just as easy as getting sulfur. Right, or, putting it, or aluminum sulfate. Yeah. And then you would also mentioned about how you've seen blueberries growing uh, in more of a, a rocky environment. Mm-hmm. Well... We have the um, Enlighten or the Soil Perfector. Those mm-hmm. are some couple names that that's, you add to your soil to create more of a rocky, well-drained soil. You
0: just said it. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, as long as you've got good drainage, mm-hmm. and that's all what we're, we're trying to do. Yeah. We're always trying to create good yeah. drainage. And you pea
1: gravel is not going to work. You need to use this uh, enlighten or soil perfector. It's it's made for that. People and of course it's is, been really
0: hard to find this year. You know I don't yeah. know why this, the supply chain's still so mm-hmm. messed up on that. Uh, and you know there are other, of course, soil amendments that we that we use to create good drainage. But that is a really good product. Yeah. Data uh, and also real quick, I made a, a few notes uh, last night. I had a guy come into the garden center. And he was ranting and raving about fleas, okay? Because he's never, ever had fleas in his yard. He's never had fleas on his dog. Well, he said he had some new neighbors move in. They've got about four dogs in the backyard. Well, clearly his neighbors have dogs that have fleas. Now it's going to be his problem, right? Oh. And other than, and what I told him, other than... You know, first of all, you want to make sure you don't have any fleas on your dog. Uh, you know, you, there are, uh, are shampoos you can buy. You can go by the vet and get sprays, and there's collars, and there's pills. But you do want to keep the, the dog flea-free, okay? Mm-hmm. Now, as far as the fleas in his yard, I said, now, you know, fleas are one of those where, you know, there are a lot of generic insecticides. You know, there's permethrins and bifenfrins and mm-hmm. cyflurians that, you know, kill fleas. But like I told the gentleman, if you're having a problem with fleas, it's one of those things where you can't go out there and just spray one time and right. you're done with your flea population, okay? they You really got to go out there and spray two or three times because what you're doing, you're, you're breaking the reproductive cycle. Yeah, You can kill every adult flea you have in your yard right now, but you still have egg and larva right behind them, Veda. So if you only spray that one time, you're going to mm-hmm. have more fleas later on. So... You know, if that's the problem, get out there with any of those products I just mentioned. Give them a good spray in. wait about 10 days or seven days on a seven to 10 days. Some people even do it five days. But I say seven to 10 days, spray it again, seven to 10 days, spray a third time. I always want to spray yeah. three times when I'm talking about fleas. So
1: Right. Yeah, because you do. You need to get the... The yard under mm-hmm. control The animal under control And if you ever get them in the house You've got to do I all sure the do. You know, all that Which, like,
0: oh my word But he but, was beside himself I mean, he wants to be a good neighbor Of right, course yeah And these people move in With these dogs And he said he can hear them Behind the fence You know, they're mm-hmm. growling and barking But he said, that's all fine and good too But he said, man They brought in the fleas Ugh. with them You know, because oh. he's never Ever had them
1: Yeah In his yeah, yard or the dogs You know, I always use Diatomaceous earth because it's not dangerous to animals, and I would uh, dust them like one time that had happened. A few fleas, dust the dog. yeah, a few fleas on the cat and a few fleas on the dog. And I don't like doing the dog collars and all of that, uh, so I just Took the diatomaceous earth and just dusted them with it. And dusted them
0: down with it. Now,
1: I I did it on cats too, but if they were little kittens, you can't do Mm -hmm. it because it's too much dust. They can't Mm -hmm. breathe through that. But I always had good flea control with that uh, product. And I used the diatomaceous earth in the house. Uh, It It, it happened.
0: It's kind of a weird name, but diatomaceous earth. (laughs) What it is, is it's just a white powder. And all it is is little bitty microscopic diatoms that come mm-hmm. from the ocean. Little skeletons is what it is. Yeah. And as the flea or any other insect crawls across this fine powder, it mm-hmm. just kind of cuts them up. Which I like yeah. the idea of killing bugs <laughs> that way. <right>?
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It definitely works for your yard situation. You know, I for me, I would probably try it first: spraying the diatomaceous earth down the side. Of the... Uh, the,
0: bo- the the border, the boundary, right? the yeah. fence row there. Yeah,
1: exactly. But then there's also like the pyrethrin. Well, there's mixes, the, yeah, the
0: permethrins, the bifenfrins, all of those permethrin family products. They're good. They're real safe to use if you use them accordingly.
1: So I said pyrethrin, but really it's the perm- permethrin that's mm-hmm. better than the pyrethrin.
0: I like it a little better. I'll tell you why on the next show.
1: Write that down, y'all. Okay, y'all have a great week with this lovely weather, and we will see you next Saturday in the garden.